Welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie po- Podcast for... Ah, take two. Hello, welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Rock and Rule, the winner of the 2017 Make Us Watch Whatever You Want fundraiser, submitted by uh, Chris Hobson. So, uh, Mr. Hobson is the winner. We have watched Rock and Rule. We're here to bring you the podcast about it. I am Chick, and I have brought along with me Christian Murkowski. Kelly Wan, did you tell him I was Murkowski? Then why does he keep calling me Murkowski? <laughs> okay, good. I feel better about the opsis now. And let's There's get a, a rock and roll tagline or two, Kelly Wand. What do you got for us? Kelly Wand bringing the rock and roll tagline. Makes Redline look like Proust. I'm not going to stop you. Just keep running. Keep running. With uh, uh, the president of the United States sent this one in. He really likes the podcast. He's, he wrote, and he said that our three-by-three three about movies uh, for him to watch was what made him bomb Syria. But his catch line for rock and roll is, uh, it's like a star is born, but with a blonde dog in the title role. Oh, my God. Kelly Wand. I know. That's super mean. Wow, it really is. But it's, it sounds like... He's not going to get reelected if he's mean like that. People hate that. <laughs> Americans are too cool to let that happen. People like nice. Uh, well, like, rather, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, what do you got? I got a couple more. Yeah, good. I, I hope they're not sent, from Donald Trump. No, he only sent in that one. Okay. Uh, so I put it second because he's the president. Uh, <laughs> it's like Manchester by the sea, but... If it was just about the kids' band, <laughs> do we know? Do we recall what his band was named in Manchester by this? Uh, I wish I did. I remember thinking it was a cool name. Oh, Dingus, that sounds like the sort of thing you might remember. What was Wasn't the kid- it like Wiggly Seaweed or something? <laughs> or is that my band name? Let me tell you, Kelly Wan, If if Dingus had it in his head, you probably knocked it out of his head with that. Robot monkey. No, it's something like the the Indomitables or the or the uh, the emission or something like that. It was one word. All right, all right. So one of us is going to have to rewatch Manchester by the Sea just for that information. All right, Kelly Wand. What other taglines do you got? It's like a Bakshi movie, but uneven. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like that was a strong note to end on. But do you have more? It's like Pitch Perfect, except that I've seen it. Oh, I don't you hate Pitch Perfect jokes. You hate them. Because you it's haven't. Like you don't know. You don't. It's like you me don't make to... jokes till you see it, bitch. That's your position, huh? Well, you don't even know what jokes are appropriate. You don't know if it even should be made fun of. You don't know how it should be made fun of, if at all. So Kelly, you're just saying. you're just like shooting in the dark, just right and that's, left, trying to hit something. That's how, the only way I can finish. <laughs> just shooting blanks. Scar Joe Cop. Oh, that's from last week. That's one I forgot to do. I don't no, understand that. Okay, Scarjo Cop. Explain that one to me, Dingus. I need Dingus to explain it to me, Kelly Wan, not you. I didn't know if it was a reference to something I didn't understand. Maybe you guys. He's had reviewing some... it instead of explaining it. <laughs> All right, Scarjo Cop for uh, Ghost in the Shell. That would look great on a poster. Yeah. But anyway, enough about Ghost in the Shell. Dingus, tell the listeners a little bit about Rock and Rule <laughs> without spoiling anything, because some of them listening might be thinking, hey, what's this Rock and Rule movie? I want a little bit of information before I, I listen to the synopsis and have everything spoiled. So, Dingus, what would you tell them? Uh, I would tell them that this week we saw Rock Ampersand Rule, 
Hmm. Uh, known as Ring of Power outside of North America. <laughs> Check that. And originally titled Drats for some reason. What? That I accept. Originally really? Titled Drats. Yes. They never say that in the movie. Nope. I remember they, that. The director says it during the commentary. Or is that so what the re- Drats are called? Yeah, it's originally titled Drats. Listen to the commentary? Oh my gosh. Sure I'm so excited. All right. There's plenty to talk about. All right, oh. so uh, yeah, it was uh, called Ring of Power and Drats, but it the movie's actually rock and roll. It's a 1983 Canadian adult animated musical science fiction fantasy. Make us watch whatever you want, listeners choice movie <laughs> about how solos are evil and duets are good. Uh, it was directed by Clive A. Smith and written by Peter Souter and John Halfpenny along with six other people. It stars Don Frank slash Lou Reed, Gregory Salata slash Paul Lamott slash Robin Zander, Susan Roman slash Debbie Harry, and, yeah. <laughs> and sure. Iggy, Iggy Pop. Uh, you know, yeah, I was, I was uh, Rock and Rule is rated PG. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's... Awesome. Well, it's rated 1983 PG, Kelly. Right. That's when it made sense. 1983 G. We you came out fine. Offhand, when, was a, when did PG-13 start with, uh, with I Temple remember of when Doom? it started. Like, yeah, what year was Temple, Temple of, of Gremlins? Gremlins and Temple of Doom combined. It was They were both 84. And between 84, those okay. two movies, everyone went, whoa, hey, slow down. Kids are enjoying this too much. Right. Let's fucking put a sock in it. So this probably would have been PG-13 if... It had been a, a, a year or so later. Right. Yeah, but so, we knew back then. See, I think we've gotten dumber. We knew back then you didn't need to uh, be that specific. Right, so when you look through the parent certifications, the, the people do su- suggest they it probably would have been rated PG-13 for basically brief thematic material. But there's also a lot of language and violence throughout. There's nudity. So it, it, uh, yeah, you see somebody's butt. You see a lot of panties. But it's you, you see, there, you see, you see. You see nipples. Yeah. When do you see true. nipples? In the tattoo shop, there's a topless lady tattoo, and there's a topless lady tattoo on the wall in the background. They but if you're looking at drawn nipples. nipples. Right, and it's also animated. It seems like if it's drawn, you can look at anything. Because you're nope. looking R- at real R-rated. R-rated. Why? What? That's, That's dumb. For nudity. These rules <laughs> are all over the map. <laughs> These ratings. It's ridiculous. Wait. Wait, now it's time for this one who talks in numbers. Oh, yes. Here we go. That's my cue. I was like, what is Dingus on about? Oh, yeah, I remember that part of the movie. Oh, he's talking about me. Uh, numbers, don't. there aren't many because this movie never came out, really. Uh, it's basically a Canadian TV show. So a company in Canada, an animation company in Canada made this. Animation. They're a. They're a children's television animation company, and they put this thing together as an adult cartoon. It apparently had a long, troubled history. You know, Dingus said it was originally called Drats. It took them forever to do this thing. Hundreds of animators. The company put all of their stuff on the line, and surprisingly, they're still around. Because the North American distributor, they handed it over, and MGM United Artists is like, uh, okay, thanks, guys. And they opened it in one theater in Boston in 1983. That's the extent, uh, the extent of its theatrical release. That was an excited crowd, though, I bet. So it made probably four digits worth of money, I'm guessing. 
Who knows what they are, though, those four digits. Uh, it's not on Metacritic because it predates Metacritic. It's not on Rotten Tomatoes except as a viewer uh, rating thing. And this surprised me because on Rotten Tomatoes, like you go there to see what's a critical consensus. And if you don't want to bother with, Metis, uh, with cinema score to find out what idiots thought, you can on Rotten Tomatoes look at the people that rate movies. You can look at the audience rating. Uh, that's a different class of idiots. That's a, a tech-savvy class of idiot. Uh, of which I'm a member. So those kinds of <laughs> those kinds of people gave Rock and Rule 72 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Which that's See? Not, that's not surprising because anybody who would go to Rotten Tomatoes and go, oh, let me look up Rock and Rule and then rate that on a one to ten. What yeah. surprised me? Thirty seven hundred people did this. <laughs> that's there, amazing. Thirty seven hundred. 3,700 ratings on uh, the audience bit of, of Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, on IM, IMDb does this as well and lets any idiot go on and rate movies. It's only at a 6.8 on IMDb with 2,400 ratings. So this movie that I'd never heard of, apparently other people on the internet, they wanted to make their opinions known. And uh, that's that's all the numbers I've got. So I've uh, never heard of it either. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so let me just say that I don't look things up on the internet while we're on the show because I don't want to mess up the internet. Uh, but I do have notes about Manchester by the, <laughs> the Sea show. on oh, my computer, so I can right? look that up. And the name of the band is Stentorian. Oh, Stentorian. now I remember it. Yeah. Was, you, was your guess indomitable, Dingus? Yeah. Yeah, that's the closest. Very good, Dingus. You almost had yeah, it. Yeah, he came pretty close. Stentorian. <laughs> That's funny that it stuck in your head that way. Like you we remember are, you're like, yeah, because he, he would say, "We are Stentorian." <laughs> right. Okay. But you remembered it as wait, what? I already Indomitable, forgot. Yeah. Indomitable. Thank you. The, the abominable snowman. Like you thought, Indomitable would be a cool band name when you heard theirs. They yeah. do all. They do sound like the names of British naval ships. Indomitable. Like the they sound like Star Destroyers. Well, the Star Centurion. Yeah. All right, so okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, yes. Kelly Wand, I, I I'm ready to hear a synopsis of this movie. Oh God, I uh, was a little confused at parts in the movie. I was hoping you could clarify things for me. That studio meddling, Tom. They really cut it up, so you probably didn't understand it. Is that true? Because I know we were told to watch a specific version. And as I was watching it, I was going, "Man, I wonder what the other version was like." Yeah, because Paul Lamatt. Was... Well, we'll get to that because Dingus apparently, li having listened to the director's commentary, is going to know a lot of stuff that you and I don't, Kelly Wan. All right, yeah, good. So before he gets into yeah, before he shows us up, Kelly Wan, do your thing and give us a uh, rock and rollopsis. Oh God, really? No, okay. How about this? Let me try again. Uh, that's my review. Of that rockopsis and dopsis rollopsis. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> Thank you. It has to sound cool, right? <sighs> whatever tom just said some words are all rock and rule while the sounds of water themed water elude that we're about to watch a horror movie some words are all and a special appearance by earth wind and fire also paul lamatt <laughs> <laughs> i'm worried i'm too faithful to the movie in this some words are all, after a nuclear war versus cats and dogs, we lost. As part of the peace treaty, Mock, a legendary super rocker, has retired to Omtown. <laughs> That's pretty much it, yeah. That's, uh, you're, not, you're not making this up. <laughs> yeah, I just transcribed a lot of it. 
His computer works at deciphering a triangle that unlocks a doorway to another dimension where Satan lives. Obsessed with this dark experiment, Mock searches for the crucial missing ingredient, a very special disco singing voice by a mutated dog. Beside right, me, hold on. I, there's going to be Kelly Wan, I've got words for you when you're done. This is I'm very upset with you now. Go ahead. What? I'm just upset with you, and just remind me. I'll, I'm going to make a note here. K Wand in doghouse regarding. Let me write this. All right, go ahead. Dog, Carry on, Kelly Doghouse, get it. Oh, I wonder what I'm in trouble for. Oh, you're All in right. big trouble. Big, big trouble. Damn. Beside me, Dingus stands up, sighs, and starts watching Redline on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> that, that actually happened. I'll cough this to that one. Canon. The opposites are canon. Tom stands up, looks at the projectionist booth, and goes, Hey, the picture's not blurry. A woman with the baby's all, Shut up, fool! Everyone applauds. Tom thinks it's for him and gives everybody a thumbs up. They start booing his thumb. Tom's all, People sure hate babies. Some lightning strikes something off screen. Inside an 80s castle, two guys I guess we don't need to see yet throw luggage at a wall. One's all, oh, well, I guess no one can sing anymore. Who knew nuclear war could be so complicated? Off the screen, mocks all, wait, um, bulldog, but cussed characters? What? <laughs> There's one more concert ever. Or maybe it's an audition. Uh, unthrow all that luggage back into the car. They sigh and comply. As they drive through rain to the city, mocks all, rock computer, rerun that subroutine and extended basic I programmed you for. The trash 80 in his car's voice is all, your record sales are terrible. All right, stop following my commands. Not you, driver. Keep driving. Not you, computer. Pull over. Not you, driver. Reboot. Not you, computer. Hit the accelerator. Not you, driver. Idiot. There I go talking to myself. <laughs> Not you, reflection. I meant the car eventually drives out of earshot. Mock types a couple unmarked keys on his keyboard, then verbally goes, rock computer, me again. How's progress on our project coming? Unchanged. Since when? From what? Never mind. Good answer. Show me the Armageddon key CG. He doesn't tap any keys for this. Instead of anything key-shaped, the computer shows him CG of a blue triangle with a thin pink circumference. Beside me, Dingus sits down, sighs, gestures glumly, and mutters, Stripe. Mocks all. How's decoding my triangle going? The computer's all terrible. Perfect. When it's done, the devil will enter this dimension. The ring I designed on my own initiative will... Yeah, yeah, that's enough exposition for now. We get it. Oh, man. A psychotic being from another dimension. Running amok, eating my potential record buyers. Oh, I can't imagine anything more pleasurable. And all I need to transcend metaphysics is a voice. A magic show for the masses. He goes to a club called Talent Night. <laughs> A blonde girl dog, whatever those are called, named Angel, is watching her six-inch-high red-haired dog boyfriend, Paul Lamatt, kick around on a guitar. She's all, what about my song, Paul? Let's do that tonight instead of your lame shit. No one can even understand a word you're screaming. You know, it's weird when you sing, it's as if your voice sounds dubbed like someone else altogether instead of Paul Lamatt. Lamatt's all, yeah, yeah. He strums randomly. I guess he's normal-sized after all. She says something about trust and sticks her tongue out at his back. 
Meanwhile, a giant rat with a yellow ball cap named Stretch plays Tempest while his fat mole friend Marty henpecks him. As the video game graphics float out of the screen and annoy Stretch's face, he's all, Magnetic forces is slowing down my brain. Marty unplugs the game so Stretch's eyes turn green. Marty's all, You shouldn't start video games three minutes before a band's supposed to play, unless you're bad at them. I'm freaking out here, Marty. Breathe slower. It worked. I'm scared. Meanwhile, four chorus girl cats with brooms on roller skates skate off stage dispiritedly while John Waters, the weasel MC, steps on stage and goes, Brooms! They've just been in boiling water. Get it? My name in this is Mylar. And now here's tonight's last act to be named later. The, cart- the curtains part. Lamatt and his band walk on stage to dead silence, then rock out by singing a heavy metal song called Town. The only audience member is a blonde girl chihuahua on a pink crop top drinking a bottle of LSD through a straw. She mildly enjoys the music. But John Waters gets bored and hits a button that makes Lamatt stop playing guitar. Paul Lamatt's all, what the fuck? My song's not as good as you can hear the lyrics. John Waters is all, give me one good reason why you should finish. Lamatt chokes his guitar neck so it won't work correctly if they resume. The weasel's all, that's a reason. Angel's all, hey, let's do my song, Paul. 10% of yours was plenty. Lamatt ignores her, but she hits a couple keys on her keyboard, so the other band members have to join in. She sings a song about her first name. (laughs) Mock watches admiringly (laughs) from a dark booth. In the middle of her song, she stops singing to address the audience directly. Hi, my (laughs) animated character's name in this is Angel. Because having sex with me feels like trying to fuck something with wings. If you want to know how that sounds, keep listening. Mox ring starts flickering. This is the best song it's ever heard. John Waters draws the curtain shut, then goes, That was great, except for all the male band members. Stretch whispers, I think he just put a heck on me. To celebrate what John Waters just said, they drive past a jittery bag lady. Then they drive past a billboard for a movie called Coming Soon. Officer Quathole drives near them for a bit. (laughs) Remember that part? Angel gets out of the car. She's all, my character's conflicted. Lamatt gets out. He's all, you were good. So why'd you walk? I don't know. I just want it all. I want everything too, Paul. But wanting everything takes time. He stares at her slowly, puts his arm around her, walks with her a couple steps, then loses interest. They drive next to a sign that says Thunder Row, then fuck in the trunk while it rains till a giant pig shows up and burbles gibberish at them. (laughs) Studio notes. Leave this part in. (laughs) Squeak boat. Lamatt's all... Hey, I changed my mind again. Let's go to Mock's house tomorrow. She's all, oh, yeah, speaking of which, we're invited to Mock's house tomorrow. (laughs) The next day, they drive through some smog while Angel's song plays for us from the sky. It goes on forever. When they pull up in front of Mock's mansion, Lamatt's all, hey, now that we parked, I changed my mind again. I'm going to wait in the car here while you guys go inside. Idiots. The rest shrug and walk up to the porch. Stretch is all. Maybe instead of ringing this doorbell, we should sacrifice a goat. 
As if on cue, the door opens on two bulldogs on roller skates. Just as Angel's about to speak, Lamatt shoves past them and goes, Change your mind again! You two butlers must both be mock. Freaks! <laughs> Suddenly lightning strikes, so one of the dogs raises a surfboard to his eyes. Luckily, the lightning in this case turns out to be Mock standing there doing nothing. Mock, we finally see as a dog with Mick Jagger lips and George Washington hair and Liberace clothes. <laughs> I lean over to Miyazaki and go, the three worst villains in American history. Mock's all, allow me to introduce my three butlers, Sneezy, Vagoda, and the third one. Who wants beer? He kisses Angel's paw. Then he's all, ah, oh, my dear, your hand is even more kissable than that stage was last night. Lamatt's all, might want to get that infected. My gerbil uses it as a room divider. Mock chuckles, then cackles nefariously for ten minutes. Then he's all, want to do drugs? They answer predictably. The butlers give Lamatt a pink laser ball that gets him really boring. Stretch doesn't want any, so they give him one too. Mock takes Angel into his garden to show her some ivy. She's all, so how many rooms you got crammed in here? He laughs delightedly, then creates a butterfly and some green squares that turn into a purple rock that hypnotizes her. <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> Back in the pink ballroom, Lamatt and Stretch and the fat one are no longer hypnotized, but enjoying watching some man-shaped CG and a lava lamp sing to them about triumph of the glory of me. The director and cameraman of the movie are also hypnotized by this, so we all watch the song for 10 minutes. Uh, beside <laughs> me, he just watches this Bruder film on a continuous loop. <laughs> the butlers kick them all out, then tear off cummerbunds so they can yank levers slower that turn the mansion into a blimp. It flies away. Lamatt's all, Angel, let's save her! He gets behind the wheel and drives it past the bag lady again, which makes her clothes fall off. Then he drives into a fountain, wrecking the car. They all sit in the fountain, pondering the movie's plots far. <laughs> Relatable. Stretch holds his steering wheel and laments the ups and downs of the music business. Suddenly, a cop shows up and goes, All right, you're all under arrest for sitting in water. They trick him by making him weigh their steering wheel with his pencil and by stealing his car. Rock music plays while they drive across the country, CG. As they drive over a light bridge, Lamatt's all, God, what an eventful road trip this has been. Stretch is all, Just remember, this next sequence takes place in Nuke York, not Olmstown, so get ready, audience, for some serious game changes in tone, characterization, and narrative momentum. Lamatt's all, Speaking of which, they pull up alongside a John Wayne Tollbooth cop mouse. Lamatt's all, Hey, uh, Chief Inspector Quaalude. <laughs> he hands the cop a piece of paper. The cop tricks them by reading it, so they all get arrested. They drive on. They drive through blurry map paintings to Radio City Music Hall, but nothing happens there. Meanwhile, in New York. Nuke York? Meanwhile, in Nuke York. <laughs> see what they did there? The butlers punish Angel for throwing a bug out of her window by locking her in a room with paintings of green bags of flour on the walls. The muscled ass of a giant China Phillips dog on roller skates falls out of an air vent next to her and goes, Hi, I'm Cindy. I'm related to the butler characters. Let's go. As they crawl through the vent, Cindy's all, Hey, this tunnel looks a little dated. Angel looks nervous. Cindy's all, JK. 
Angel exhales with relief. That was a close one. Suddenly, Cindy's ass makes the pipe bulge. So to kill time, they eavesdrop on Mock talking to his computer again. <laughs> Mock's all, Hey, computer, I stole a singing dog from Paul Lamatt's stone bowls. Dad, I listened to Armageddon key decipherment coincidentally complete. Stand by for words about it. The triangle CG says Angel has to sing these notes. This song is so beautiful, it will make Satan appear and ignore you. Yes, hell on earth. Through music, I'm amazing. And it's literally impossible to stop me. It's a shame, Mock, because something can stop you. Just to clarify what you said, by the magic of one voice, one heart, one song, now checking world population for these qualities, results complete and about to be spoken. No one. Emphasis, second word. Beside me, Dickus writes on a post-it and hands it to me. It says, why isn't this in the trash? So I'm talking about Mark's computer. <laughs> My favorite actor in the movie is Dingus. Some talking heads on Mark's computer argue with each other by saying the same words at the same time till Mark gets tired. Meanwhile, in a tattoo parlor, a Czechoslovakian sea captain mouse gets a mermaid drawn on the back of his head by a giant dog named Aunt Edith. She's all, chicks really dig mermaid heads, Archie. The captain responds to this by leaving. Lamatt and his rat friends show up. Lamatt's all, I'm looking for someone you've never met before. Aunt Edith's all, oh, she's probably with this butch character named Cindy. You'll know her from the winged heart tattoo on her ass. Very unpopular choice. She likes to make a spectacle of herself at a disco place called Club 66. Its theme is anti-gravity? Lamatt's all, let's go. Meanwhile, the sea captain's harpoon leg steps on a hot dog. <laughs> he calls one of the butlers to notify them that Paul Lamatt's in a tattoo parlor. <laughs> To reward the captain, the butler on the other end hits a phone button that instantly disintegrates when you call. <laughs> Dingus looks enviously at this disintegrated character. Meanwhile, Sydney and Angel's adventure climaxes by they're fighting a chain link fence. They follow this off screen to Club 66 and meet some stone CG silhouettes. Everybody dances and does blow. Lamatt walks in and goes, Okay, guys, let's split up and look at ass tattoos. <laughs> specifically, right? Lamatt shrugs. There's a mice looking at ass cheeks montage. Marty looks at the but gets scared because one pair is a dude's and Marty's fat. Ah, <laughs> uh, the comedy of 1979. <laughs> Stretch is going into his ass tattoo, but she scratches it, which makes him run away. Cindy dances with some lights. Lamatt's all, hey, look, someone with blonde hair heading for the exit. I guess the ass tattoo subplot's meaningless. Let's go. Lamatt walks through some fog up to the top floor of a building while the figure calls his name in Angel's voice. But it turned out just to be an irradiated vampire crone. So Mock takes him and the other two bandmates hostage with Angel's voice. The next day, Mock's in his control room. Angel comes in and goes, Hey, I suddenly somehow know you have Paul Lamatt, and I'm your captive again? What? Mock's all, Look. He shows them all her friends are suspended in a pink ball. That's all his, all his toys are pink ball. Mock's all, Now sing and summon the devil, or they'll keep doing that. Okay, you got me. Mock puts Paul Lamatt and the other two on a bus to 
town. The fat one's all, hey, look what I can do. He pulls his pants down and meets Angel. Paula Matt's all, I'm really baked right now. That's why my character sounds so different in this part of the movie. Angel sobs, Ma, what have you done to them? They were geniuses. The bus drives back to hometown of Parks. Paula Matt and the other two get out and stare at a poster that says Carnage Hall until it explodes and turns into British TV news. The Anchorman's on. This just in, Carnegie Hall blew up. Satan did it. Here's some interviews with groupies. In his blip mansion's control room, mocks all. Okay, wait, what happened? I'm confused. The computer's all. Satan destroyed a concert hall off screen. Ugh. Satan's already here doing stuff. Why do I need Angel then? Processing. Next line of dialogue found. More power is needed to summon him. Mock laughs and starts dancing and summoning lasers and sings a song called My Name is Mock. Sometimes it rhymes. When Mock comes to, Cindy's watching a kid's program about killing cows. One of Mock's butlers is all, Hey boss, now that this kid show's on, do we know the difference between good and evil? Mock's all, Well, good spelled backwards is Duke. <laughs> the butler begins to cry. Mock leads him out onto a catwalk. The computer's all, hometown returned to. In a normal room, Angel plays sad piano. Then she gets up and says to Mock, you know what? Fuck the concert. Let's just have sex. Mock rolls his eyes. What is this? Fantasy Island? Nice try. She glares. She's all, I'm not singing. And the sex offer's temporarily withdrawn. He strangles her till his rope falls off. They both try to kill each other in the darkness, but I guess Mock wins because he comes out and tells the butler, drug her ass, wire it to the circuit. That's what the sold-out concert crowd tonight wants to see. Meanwhile, Lamatt scores a gig at John Waters' place with his new band, Daycare. He sings a song called I Like You, but John <laughs> Waters hates them without Angel. A guy comes in and whispers in John Waters' ear. He's all. Mock's playing at the power plant tonight? Fuck my club here. I'm going to go and see something else. So long, losers. Meanwhile, the concert starts. Angel's in white lingerie, manacled to some metal, and sings half-heartedly while some lasers in front of a drill red star on the stage. I stand up beside Dingus and raise my lighter. Due to Angel's poor singing and the complexity of the star's shape, Mock instantly runs out of electricity, much to his irritation, so he launches a nuclear missile. The missile knocks out all the power in hometown, killing millions. Concert goers cheer. The power outage also electrocutes Paul Lamatt and Stretch the fat one. They're singing on a sidewalk next to a poster of Angel. Paul Lamatt's all. Ugh. My memory's returned from that fatal dose of electricity. Angel, let's save her. I mean, eh, fuck her. She likes Mark now. Believe your eyes, not your heart. Lamatt ponders this distinction. Then they drive to the concert and get some sandwiches on. Angel singing summons the devil. He's rotoscoped. Mock takes over and starts singing on stage. The audience of thousands reacts silently off screen. Satan stands around growling at everybody. Then its tongue starts grabbing people from the audience and eating them. Mock disrobes, comes out on stage and screams, Yes! Now my record sales will probably not improve, but still. Suddenly, Lamatt frees Angel by screaming and breaking her iron chains with his wooden guitar neck. One of the butlers roller skates into a wall, so he's done. <laughs> As one of the other butlers cradles him, he's all, <coughs> you evil, always scuzz. He dies. 
mock captains and wears boots. Angels all. The mat. I'm not an expert, but maybe if I keep singing, it'll send Satan back to hell. Angel don't. Satan's awesome. Angels all. <laughs> <laughs> she sings the song about herself again. I guess it's the only song she knows. Although it's going well and already irritating Satan, Lamette joins in too. Satan can't stand this song and goes back to hell. <laughs> the surviving butler kills him by throwing him into the star, which is now a bottomless pit. As he clings to the pit's edge, that's what the concert is, is watching. As he comes to the pit's edge, he tries to appeal for his life by going, I am Mark! But they all keep singing at him, so he loses interest. The surviving audience members cheer. John Waters is all, We did it! Satan's bored! JP won the race! Mark fell into a star and hurt his leg! Yes! Angel's song goes on all night and turns into a rainbow, while some scrolling words tell us all the names of the animators and performers who's ended by this movie. As on most of us, all the maths. The end. All right, that explains a lot, Kelly Wand. Thank you. It's not that hard if you just pay attention. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Before we start, Dingus, did Chris Hobson have anything to say about why he picked this? Oh, he certainly (laughs) did. (laughs) Why don't you... Yeah, why don't don't you clue me into that? Because I'm wondering why he picked this. Well, first of all, Chris uh, Chris Hobson, congratulations on winning the contest, and we're sorry we messed up first time around. Um, uh, but Chris says, I hope somebody else out there also liked this. Uh, he says, at least it's something weird and different that people mostly haven't seen. But he gives a brief history in case no one else did any, I guess, brief history. So the Toronto-based studio Nelvana turned down an offer to work on an animation for heavy for heavy metal to focus on their own first full length movie rock and rule they spent over 4 years 300 animators and 8 million Jesus. 8 million making uh, rock and rule due to a lack of interest from MGM it had little promotion and a very limited release only in Boston in the US it made no money uh, minus 30k or about 30k, I think he says, and almost bankrupted the company. Uh, people mostly learned about this movie only from late night TV showings. Nelvana's next movie was Care Bears in 1985. Uh, uh, huh. I think they learned a lesson in making movies that are easy to categorize and market for. They later made TV cartoons like Inspector Gadget and Beetlejuice. This is probably the furthest they strayed from kids' contact uh, content. Uh, Thanks for covering. Um, they did actually intend this to be a children's movie at first. That's why it was originally called Drats. This is me talking. Uh, yeah, I'm not the least bit surprised they went on to do children's TV. That's my, my take on this watching it. This is for kids. I mean, the sense of humor in this is juvenile to the mm-hmm. sense that, oh, I, I think this is for kids. The tone of this, it's totally for kids. And I, I'm not the least bit surprised that this is a studio that went on to do movies for kids or TV shows, not even movies. TV uh, shows, yeah. Yeah, for kids. So my over, because it's about the same time, and this this movie still sticks with me, and I imagine this might be part of what's going on with Chris Hobson. I don't think heavy metal holds up, but I saw heavy metal at an impressionable age where a lot of those images, uh, they, they stick with me. I mean, they, they, they made an impression when I was at that age, and I've gone back since then and seen heavy metal and thought, 
And it's really not that good, pretty uneven, but there's this kind of rawness to it. And there's a variety in the different stories in heavy metal. Uh, and there's a very adult quality to heavy metal because it's, uh, it's from a, a magazine that, that was an, an adult magazine for grownups. Like heavy metal wasn't done by people who went on to do cartoons for children. Um, so my over is heavy metal because it's an example of this sort of thing that works for me. Uh, this didn't so, work for me. So wait, heavy metal was a magazine or a comic book? Magazine. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, yeah, it's kind of like in the back in the era when we could have magazines like <clears throat> Mad Magazine, for instance, that weren't uh, just a bunch of, like it. It had comics in it, but it was a magazine. Yeah. Marvel had, had like called Epic Illustrated. It's like the other heavy metal. But it I had I, like nudity in it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So did the cart. So did the comic book. And I I didn't know the comic book. I wasn't into comic books as a kid, so I didn't know what heavy metal was when I went to see it. I just knew I was going to an animated movie that had some cool sci-fi stuff. Um, but yeah, it definitely had nudity. I think I think they pretty much almost like uh, they probably mandated that each of the segments has some sort of topless woman or something, if I recall correctly, because it's there's a lot of cheesecake in those heavy metal. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's for, it's for seventeen-year-olds. So, it's exactly. Now that, now that you talk about it, it, it seems to me that. Uh, I remember the magazine being a magazine, but being in the the shelf with, like in the yeah, because the, there were comics in with it with the porn. No, but it was with just the magazine porn. size. Oh, and the porn. Well, just simply because there was nudity, because it was specifically right. they didn't, couldn't they couldn't put it with the comic books or the mad magazines. It was an adult publication, uh, and places that you know had rules about hey, no selling porn to people under sixteen. Those people also couldn't buy heavy metal. Yeah, I, I, I seem to remember that now that you say it's a magazine. I remember like the little convenience store in the small town uh, where I was growing up at the time. I remember heavy metal being next to the Playboys and whatnot. Right. Did you ever look at it, though? Because I really liked it, like the Corbin, Richard Corbin art and all that stuff. It was really impressive to I, me. I kind of remember it, but I, I, I don't know. I kind of I conflated with, those, with that weird um, – the art of that – like, dude, who does that epic? Uh, Rosetta? No, not him. I don't know. It start, his name starts with a V, but uh, moving on. Moving on. Sorry. So, yeah, well, the heavy metal movie uh, was this kind of thing where they're trying to do animation for adults. And so when I say adults, Kelly Wand is correct to correct me and say 17-year-old adults because heavy metal does have blood and violence and decapitations and, and rock. And, and by the way, the musicians in heavy metal meant a lot more to me, like Blue Oyster Cult, uh, yeah. any, anyone in this. When I see a movie that says, and Earth, Wind, and Fire, I'm like, okay, this, this is pretty dating sucked. Yeah, soft. I want to get into one exception to that in a moment, and that's where you're in big trouble, Kelly Wand. Uh, but <laughs> my under is uh, Uncle Mike, the Uncle Mikey show. Which is the cartoon that uh, one of the, the butler, Toady or Zip or whatever, one of the butlers is watching on the airship about the little cow and the little weird uh, clown man. And it's uh, the Uncle Mikey cartoon. I imagine that thing is actually worse than rock and rule. So I'm putting that under. <laughs> That's not even a real thing. Thing is, I saw it in the movie. You see footage of it. You definitely see, see footage of it. Uncle Mikey. Where... Show. Tom, why do, you, why do you rook at something that's trying to tell you they're trying to teach you a lesson about good and evil. What's wrong with you? Ah, let's hear, let's hear about this. So, Dingus, what's an under and over? Uh, probably movies that teach me about good and evil, like maybe The Exorcist and something like something like that might be in there. No, I, I didn't do anything that <laughs> highfalutin. I was really disturbed by that whole thing. This is good and evil. And then I was also feeling guilty about that whole 
uh, thing I liked about Return of the Jedi, I used to like. There was a, I, I saw that little bit, and I was like, yeah, that's Dingus's little moral relativism quote, yep. Return of the I Jedi. Know, uh, <laughs> given where recent events have gone, I no longer like that quote. The whole alternate facts thing has ruined that whole oh, that's right for me. Give that us the whole give idea. Us, give us the Star Wars quote again, because it, it didn't occur to me that it, it had been besmirched now. Oh, it's been totally ruined for me. It's it's you know when when Luke is is you know taking Ben to task after going back to Dagobah to you know see Yoda off, and Ben shows up in his halo, and uh, and looks like. But you said uh, Vader betrayed and murdered my father, and Ben's like, well, you know what I told you was true from a certain point of view, and this is <laughs> certain point of view. And, That's uh, like when and, he said he was going to become more powerful when he died. That's another thing that he's from a certain point of view. Yeah. Uh, well, now he can talk at a radio frequency that is far, I guess, has far greater range. I think that's what he meant. But Ben's response is, <laughs> what, I, what, I told you, what I told you was true from a certain point of view. And <laughs> Luke says, a certain point of view. And Ben says, Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly upon our own points of view. Oh, okay. um, and, and I understand that as it sets up, I understand that as a setup, but given the way things have gone now about alternate fa- alternative facts, it's really hard to stomach that kind of I, thing. I just now. thought the so word this, al- alternate might be in there. So it's not that no. on the nose, but yeah. No, no, so. it's not. But, but yeah, this, I, def- I definitely thought thing. of you during that one little moment. Yeah. I was like, yep, yeah. there's, there's Dingus's quote. <laughs> and that was another sort of like moment here. But no, I didn't do anything that highfalutin. I just went, uh, you know, the over. Well, uh, my under is just a, an animated movie. I, I didn't like more, and it was really hard to find something under this because I, you know, all due respect to Chris, I could not stand this thing. It was just brutal. It was brutal sitting through it. I'm sorry, Chris. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't uh, think it was meant for you. I think he knew. Maybe it, I don't know. It, I, I don't know who, like, you know, listening to it and listening to what the director thought he was making and, and you know, what he thought of it. Uh, I just, I, oh my God, I was just smacking my head against the wall during this. It was really hard to sit through. Uh, that said, Chris, I'm glad you won and I'm glad you made us do it because, uh, you know, this is, this is a movie from 1983 and I'm glad I saw it. Uh, and I'm glad he didn't like it. I mean, it's it's weird to you know sit through a movie you don't like, but that's fine. That's fine with me. Um, so I, you know, I I took my kid to see a movie called Penguins of Madagascar a couple years ago. Oh, ouch! Uh, I see, took him. it was when my dad that, was that undercuts here. your whole argument. <laughs> I went to see it. This is under because that movie I totally fell asleep during the oh, movie. That, Penguins it. of Madagascar uh, is your over. No, it's my under. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. Because I remember it's how just, much you hated that. You told because you. Yeah. No, it's just terrible. It's dumb. It's it's it hasn't it. I mean, the the animation is competent. You know, it's fine. Uh, it's not like it's bad animation like this. But this animation, I give kind of a pass because and listening to the director talk about the different things they were trying to do with the animation. And this is a, basically a bunch of kids out of school and working for four years to make this thing using whatever techniques they can muster. Some of those are, uh, you know, you know, like using pieces of glass over a model with clouds moving over them. So in very few computer generated effects at this particular time, there's not a lot they could do. So they were really working on a 
very tight budget to make what they could out of animation and trying over and over and over again to make sure like the car doesn't go off the road into the desert or whatever and having to reshoot things over and over again. So I respect that kind of thing. It's okay with me if the animation doesn't look all that great in some of these, if the story's good, but I think the story's just horrible. Penguins of Madagascar is worse. Uh, over the over this, and this isn't closely bracketed because I think this movie is much better. Uh, but this is a this is a supernatural for me uh, rock and roll movie, and that would be Scott Pilgrim. I would put it over it. It's another movie I don't like, but it's not as close. It's not close to this in uh, in how bad it is. All right, Kelly Wan, give us an over and under. Uh, what, what's the role on TV movies? I guess you used a cartoon in the movie, yeah, so I Tom, should be clear. Yeah, he, Tom broke all the rules, so it doesn't matter. Um, but I guess I was going with. I mean, I like seeing anything that's a relic to me. Like I just get, I just mm. go into a- analysis mode, and so I'm enjoying it. Like just as like a. So this was what was they made in 1979. Like knowing the history of this movie made it more interesting as a movie to me. Like to see how they tried to. Like I read online somewhere, the the Canadian version has a guy swearing in it for the Paula Matt character, and then they put Paula Matt in it so they'd have a name, <laughs> and then they they toned him down. So it's weird that it, but you have all these Mel Blanc kids movie things. Like it's it's a very strange um, concept that it even got made. Um, but my I went with movies that with that were like cartoons that. We weren't supposed to see yet, but like sort of adult cartoons. So my over was Wizards, although there's a TV movie called Kiss and the Phantom of the Park that is probably more similar to thematically. <laughs> oh my god! Where they fly in it, and Gene Simmons roars like a lion. They have like supernatural powers, and they have like a talisman. Never mind. Uh, and minor was Cool World, which I think is even lamer and more scattershot than this movie. I thought about Cool World. Is Cool World really that bad? Yeah, it's hard to look at too. I mean, and this yeah. occasionally has like a not not bad for its time drawing, but Cool World sucks. It's terrible, and the story's irritating. Everything about it's annoying. It's a very annoying movie. It just seems to want to irritate you. Because I remember that was another. It's an, an adult cartoon. You're supposed to like a yeah, and I should support those things. Um, but they're all. Have, I don't know. Have you watched Lord of the Rings lately? The Bakshi one. Yeah, because yeah, not in a while. But I'm curious how it holds up. I mean, it just seems weird to even look at it now. Like, just thinking about Treebeard. Yeah. But I remember liking the Gollum in it a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Uh, And the way they did Aragorn is kind of like a gangster kind of dude. He had this really weird voice. I don't know. Like, I got kind of... That's all we had for a while, so I just kept picturing Bormir with with that Viking helmet for a long time. Just because the movie had him wearing that. (laughs) Um, but I'm really curious to just hear even a sample of the version the Canadian version of this movie just to hear what they the studio's like no that character's got to be Paul Lamatt instead of that now when we say Canadian version is because my understanding they made it for MGM United Artists they didn't do anything with it eventually the rights went to Canadian TV and they aired it on television so there was a version for Canadian TV, or was this before it got turned over to MGM? What's this Canadian version? 
Uh, well, Chris, Chris Barkison actually talks about this because he's he also wrote in. Uh, you, we had two Chris's write in, one who made us watch this movie and one who watched it as well. Uh, and Chris Markinson actually lives in Canada, so he has Canadian Wikipedia apparently. Um, but he just he just he he was not a fan of this movie either. He he really wished he had been able to watch the Canadian version, and he couldn't. And he lives in Canada. Um, but he says that the Canadian version apparently has extra footage, different clearer clearer audio mix, the original voice of Omar original shots that were replaced by alternate footage and the shot of zip still alive at the conclusion. <laughs> what the, gu- the Butler guy. Yeah. The one that dies, that gives his life. Yeah. The one who so watches the studio. The Uncle so the American one kills him off. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. It's so random. Everything. But what I'm curious about is what are the mechanics of – is this like, – like with Brazil, there's the one that Terry Gilliam made. There's the one that the right. studio released. How does the Canadian versus the version that we watched, how, how does that fit into the creative intent? Do we know? We don't know, and, and I don't have anything you know, from listening to – that I remember from listening to the, uh, the commentary track um, by the director, Clive A. Smith. That gives me any insight into that thing. I mean, he doesn't get into the Omar stuff. He doesn't get into what the differences are, really. I mean, he gets into a lot of like weird stuff about um, like different casting that didn't work out because like Howie Mandel was supposed to play a character and voice oh a lot God. of it. And, oh, but he, even he seems even he seems confused about which character Howie Mandel was doing. And then an animator redid. He, he, he talks about Howie Mandel as originally he's, he's, he starts talking about, um, Mylar. Um, and then he says, Howie Mandel was supposed to do the voice of stretch. And then he says one of his, and then how he met, but Howie Mandel was in Canada at the time and then moved somewhere, moved to LA cause he got popular or something. Uh, and so one of the animators then did the entire voice of Mylar. And it's like, do you, Clive, do you know which voice Howie Mandel actually did originally? Because it's weird the way he the, – the sequence of him talking and the editing of the commentary is a little bit confusing. Um, so the a lot of what you're asking about, Tom, is not resolved in this commentary. Okay. But we were told, by the way, don't watch the Canadian version by Chris Hobson, right? But we can't, can we? <laughs> Even if we want. No, to. I think he. I think he did tell us not to. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dinga, we now we now own it, Kelly Wan. Like, there's a copy over here. We we are proud owners of the DVD of the non-Canadian version. And I think he said you can see the Canadian version on YouTube. I'm not surprised, by the way. This thing is old enough. I can't imagine anyone cares too much about who has the right. rights. But oh, I uh, forgot you could see it on YouTube. I yeah. I never bothered to do that. I just watched the DVD I ordered. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk then about the characters. Any characters stand out for you? And here, here's why I want to bring that up. That Omar guy was so unlikable because from the get-go, yeah. he's being a jerk to who we presume is the protagonist, the, the cool, mm-hmm. nice chick. He's being a jerk to her, and he's always flip-flopping back and forth, and he's a, it's, it's a horrible example of a hero. I don't understand what they're going for with that. I don't either. And, the moment yeah. he walks out when she – is playing, and Chris Markinson says that. I mean, he says it. He says Omar was such a dick, and that's immediately what I thought when he walks out the door in the middle of the band's performance. You don't do that. 
and nobody yeah. calls him on it, he should be punched in the head for that. You don't walk out in the middle of your band playing. So I'm wondering if at some point we're supposed to see him like redeem himself before he saves her. Like I don't know the the, the way the story was cut together. I'm not the least bit surprised that this was a troubled production. So maybe at some point we're supposed to not like him, and then he redeems himself and he saves her, and then we do like him. Like that's all I can think about why you would have one of your heroes being such a dick uh, is well, because we missed some sort of obvious and turnaround. He was dubbed over. Like all his dialogue was changed. Ah, Paul right. Matt was brought in. So I'm really curious what he was like before when he was well, apparently more abrasive. <laughs> I, I think this is honestly just a bunch of young writers who don't know any better because Clive A. Smith, when he's talking about it, he's like, yeah, we, we were, what we're doing with Omar was we're basically we're, we decided to pattern him after James Dean uh you know oh my god oh really? wow he's kind of cool and aloof um and but, but he's you know, troubled and vulnerable that's what james deed was Omar's yeah. not vulnerable he's a yeah. dick so it's it's it's, 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 I think it's young writers who don't understand the difference between being cool and aloof and being a dick because he, he literally he says we kind of patterned him after james dean i'm like that's you, you don't understand any of that. You don't understand what's going on. But I think it was just kids writing something that they don't understand. So basically, we just saw a student film. I I think that's kind <laughs> of what happened. I think it was a it was a, a bunch of kids. I mean, here's here's a, here's an example, Tom. Um, well, he made million. Uh, you got to give him uh, <laughs> somehow. The uh, the Armageddon Ring. They originally decided it was going to be called the Yen Sid Ring. Ugh. It's like George Lucas to get polished. Do you get what that means? I don't. Yensid? No. What? The Yensid ring? Because it's backwards for Disney. Oh, Uh, right. Sneaky. uh, But they decided to use that conceit with that word about evil being backwards. With live and evil. Yeah, Yeah. so that's the level. They're edgy. They're like, eh, we're the opposite of Disney. Exactly. Exactly. That's the Uh, level uh, of of discourse that you're hoping for in this movie. And and I think it's just a bunch of kids and really they're right out of school and they're deciding we're going to just do our own thing, man. And the first thing he says in the commentary is this film should have made millions, but they just didn't promote it. I'm like, dude, you don't know. This film should have made millions. It came out the no same way. Well, I will tell you. Fucking Return of the Jedi. Are you I would have hated this movie as a kid. I would have hated it. I would have gone, there's too much singing. Nothing ever happens. These characters So the reason the movie would have made millions, and I think where he's, I mean, he's wrong in the sense that it wouldn't have been a big movie, but the studio could have definitely made some money back. Uh, it can't have been, in 1983, to get Cheap Trick, Blondie, and Earth, Wind, and Fire <laughs> leading your credits, that's no small feat. Right. And that uh, that would have made them their money back, and it wouldn't have, of course, been a Star Wars. It would have been panned. I mean, this actually did get re- reviewed by critics, but the uh, the 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 fact that they got those musical acts and it's like, oh, Iggy Pop, jeez, and an Iggy Pop song, yeah. like those were big deals back in '83. I mean, to guys our mm-hmm. age, those are kind of like like I was never into Cheap Trick. But here's why you're in big trouble, Kelly Wand. Uh huh. Blondie is not disco in any way, shape. Ooh. Form Blondie is new wave, almost punk. I will not have you besmirch Debbie Harry's band's name by describing it as disco. ABBA is disco. Blondie, new wave. Kelly Wand, I'm very disappointed in you. Uh, I, 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 I was a huge. They Blondie. would play Blondie in discos though. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't make them disco. Uh, I, I love when they when they when her name came up. You know, the vocals by uh, Debbie Harry. I was kind of excited, and I have to say, I liked that Debbie Harry song. But I'm a huge sucker for Blondie. I like Debbie Harry was such an instrumental part of my pre to post pubescent development. Uh, she was so impossibly hot to me, like Farrah Fawcett, uh, and I, I just the the. The album covers are just seared in my mind, and I like all of their songs, even really obscure ones. Uh, I feel strongly enough about Blondie that I despise a song they did that sounds nothing like their other stuff. It's super reggae-y called The Tide is High. It was one of their big hits, but it's got this reggae beat, and I'm like, that's not Blondie. Ew, gross. Why are you doing that? I, I, I loathe hearing that song. God, so, I wish you hadn't said that the title of that song. It's going to be in my head the rest of the night. Well, it does that. It's, it's a stupid <laughs> reggae earworm, and it just yeah. – so, but I love Blondie, and I really did like that the Signal song or whatever it was called, and I loved hearing Deborah Harry's voice. And my favorite thing about this movie is I thought, okay, Dadgummit, I'm going to go watch another movie from 1983 with Deborah Harry and see how that turns out. And what? it didn't it didn't turn out well, but Debbie Harry sure does hold up. Uh, what was well, it? Do you not know Kelly Wand? What other movie? 83 would ne- Star 80. Wait. No, Debbie Harry's not in that. This is a huge Debbie. Her uh, name was a big selling this movie. Caligula. No, I, it's a movie that I bet you would like, and I didn't think it's any good. I don't think this director did any good movies until after this one. Uh, early horror. Tales from the Crypt. Uh, she's in that. Horror. No, I love her little bookends in Tales from the Crypt where she's the witch. Uh, it's body horror. She, she puts a cigarette out on her breast. Oh, duh. I'm dumb. Video Video, okay. Videodrome came out in 1983. It's a Debra, Debra Harry movie. Uh, and so after watching uh, Rock and Roll, I was like, okay, well, I'm, I like that Debra Harry song. It's got me thinking back to you know being a teenager and being in love with Blondie, but Debra Harry, I'm going to go watch that movie. And it's David Cronenberg. I'm convinced, Kelly Wan, nothing David Cronenberg made before The Fly is really any good. No, I love that movie. You're crazy. Is she singing it? No, no, she doesn't sing, but she's she naked. does better than sing. Yeah, there's like that movie rules, and I think I hated her song in this. So I'm disagreeing ah. with you on both these oh, things. Weird. I thought it was very disco-y. No, I thought it didn't sound like Call Me or any of her good shit or Liar Liar. That's it is. A good you're, song. Thinking, you're thinking of Heart of Glass as a disco song. Telephone. If that's good. <laughs> Art of Glass isn't disco, but this song was in the movie. It, and there's someone watching them who looks kind of disco-y, that girl with the frizzy hair. But that's so not well. her. She's writing – one of the cool things about Deborah Harry as far as this is concerned – and by the way, Tom, uh, uh, Chris Markinson agrees with you that she's got a nice voice, and he really yeah. likes – he likes he likes her vocals on the songs. And Sweet. the cool thing about Deborah Harry is that yeah. – um, that uh, Clive A. Smith met with her a lot, and 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 I think – of. All the artists on this particular that that did songs for things and then provided singing vocals because the speaking vocals and the singing vocals were different for the characters. Um, he felt like her vocals were closest to what the other what the actress was doing who had to voice the character, and those things matched the best. And he liked what she was writing. And I think that what Deborah Harry Deborah Harry is writing for this is more related to what that character yeah. wants to write than what Blondie was doing or what she was doing in yeah, the real world. True. She was doing what an actor would do. She was she was bringing 
to the project, okay, what what do you need for this character-wise? Okay, I'll write to that. So even if it sounds more disco-y than that, she's she's doing what is required by the movie, not what fulfills her persona or anything like that. Well, that doesn't and make the song more palatable to me, though. Well, yeah, it does. Well, nevertheless, it, it, I think it makes it more true to the character, and it, I think it speaks highly of her. And I think that sure. she does a nice job. She's she's trying to match what she's doing to what the character is. But it's a disco song. That's all I'm saying. Now you're just trying to get my goat, Kelly Wong. Now yeah, you're pushing buttons. I'm saying I normally like Debbie Harry too, but I and she probably you know what Dingus right. She did good work on this, but I hate that song. I agree with Satan. All right, well Dingus, you're you're. <laughs> <laughs> it's very Juice Newton. It sounds like a Juice Newton song. Oh my God! Just, ooh, so Juice so Newton. Yeah. No, no, he's trying. He's just antagonizing me, and I'm not going to fall for it. I don't care. Fine, you can say that. See if I care. You don't like video drum? You're fucking weird. Video drum's not hold up. And you know what else is up funny about video drum? Deborah Harry's kind of awful in it. <laughs> she's terrible. You're she, crazy, dude. Woods is terrible. The stomach which is so stupid. Oh. What? I love his friend, too, the one who fucks him over. The Harold Ramis-looking you know, guy. Yeah, it is a Harold It's David Cronenberg just has no idea how to make a movie until he lucks into the fly. No. he's He doesn't have a budget. That was his follow-up to Scanners. Doesn't matter if he has a budget. Scanners, at least, is Scanners Video Drum thinks it's being super smart and astute with its observations about, like, television and, and technology. and uh, uh, that, uh, James Wood screaming... <laughs> Down with TV, long live the, long new, live the flash. new flash, bitch. Fuck yeah, he's speaking he for the it. masses. If he had said it the way you said it, it would have been funny, it would have worked. But no, it's completely <laughs> it's, 100% in earnest. He thinks he's being like a prophet or a messiah. That's what David Cronenberg thinks. It's dumb. <laughs> he's just doing what Juice Newton's doing in rock and roll. He's just I, playing the hand he's dealt, just like Debbie Harry in Videodrome. I believe Juice Newton. You, you can't even... I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even responding. Do you like Pat Benatar? I like her. No. Ew. What? I liked them both. She was like a goth. No, I'm not into Pat Benatar or Linda Ronstadt. I was just super into Blondie. Just Blondie. Yeah. This podcast is a battlefield. Uh See, see, Kelly Wan, see what door you've opened. Yeah. Here, I'll tell you. I'll tell you this, Dingus. I like Blondie more than the police. Yeah, I mean, more sure. than the police like oh, them. Sweet, did you hear that, Dingus? Kelly Wand agreed. That's I impossible. That is impossible to like Blondie police. more than the police. Are you guys out of your minds? Mm, that's an easy one to me. Yeah, same here. <laughs> I'll I listen to Tom Blondie. Just doesn't understand punk. Police. Tom doesn't understand punk music. No, I don't think he does either. But yeah. uh, you know, I'm surprised he doesn't like Pat Benatar. That's strange. I believe it. you guys like uh, you. Now Tom's just trying to get my goat. Why are you <laughs> deflecting? Kelly Wan giving you a goat to me. Why would you do that? I didn't do anything. So, I'm not uh, anti- uh, by any stretch. Yeah, Dingus, here, here you go. Call I me. Like your video drone work. Call me is better than message in a bottle. Yes. <laughs> no, it <agree>. is not. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sweet. I thought, all right, we've, we've settled that on this podcast. Uh, oh. Let's see. How was? How about the design of that mock fella? Did that work for you guys? Uh, no, nothing. I was actually. I liked him. As a character, but I don't know if he made any sense. And I can't tell if he's a wizard because they call him a rocker. But then why are his record like he's supposed to be a fearsome villain, but his records suck. But he's he has all these super cool powers, but they don't help him. So it's well, like, I'm puzzled by. 
I'm being a little bit facetious when I say this, but the the world building in this, there there really wasn't any. Like to just lead in with, hey, it's been a war, and now everybody's a dog, a cat, or a rat. Okay, and there's a rocker. Go. Like I I, I don't. And coming right after Red Lion. Yeah, I I don't think there was much vision or there was much like it's thing is saying it's just kids doing this. It really did feel like kids doodling in the margins of a notebook or something. I, I. I just got no sense of world building. Why was everyone a dog and a cat and a rat? Why is this guy a, a, a rock star? What makes him a rock star? Why are his butlers these ogres on roller skates? Like there was no sense of uh, – All random. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, exactly, Kelly Wan. It was just weird randomness that I didn't understand why anything was anything. It's uh, the it's how Dingus felt during Redline, but we didn't right. – <laughs> He felt that way during this. Like, what the fuck? We now understand Dingus. Exactly. Put some effort into this, at least. Yeah, because like you said, the world building, like the world building in Redline seemed kind of retarded at the time, but now if you compare it to Rock and Roll, Robo World is way more fleshed out. Than well, and, and York. Yeah, well, there's a sense of consistency. Like they're trying yeah. to create something, and they've got a, a consistent vibe, a consistent tone. Uh, and it's all you need to know. Like, there's nothing in Redline where you're going, "Wait, why'd that happen?" Or it's just some random joke or something. But in this, like, the basic spine of this of Rock and Roll story makes no fucking sense to me. I don't get anything that's happening, or why. Uh, my problem with the mock design is. Uh, it made me think they were trying to do. Uh, there's an animator named or uh, artist named Gerald Scarf, and he did the, he does all the illustrations for of Hunter Thompson. Uh, he did the the Wall, which is Pink Floyd's album, and there's an animated movie of the Wall that has all these like weird arch, like vaguely androgynous English characters that look kind of like Mock, and I just couldn't help but look at Mock and think of all those weird, scary Gerald Scarf characters. Uh, and think, okay, I, he, there's just kind of aping that, and I've seen that done better. But I guess I appreciated they were at least trying. He looked weird. He, you know what? At least he wasn't a dog, a cat, or a mouse. Yeah. I'll give him that. He's like Phantom of the Opera, maybe. Right, right. As the bad guy. And remember Wizards, the bad guy? The guy with, like, the skeleton arms? I've actually have, like, never seen Wizards. I was ah, never, Wizards. I was never a Ralph Bakshi fan. Like, his stuff I just don't understand. Uh, that one I saw at the theater and it made an impression on me, but I, I've seen it since and it's kind of, it's pretty dumb and it's kind of rock and rolly, but I remember really liking it at the time. Right. And, and there's knobs in it. Oh, well then it's for adults, adult 17 year olds. Very good. It's got like elves and tanks. Both. <laughs> what were the things you guys liked about this? The Deborah uh, Harry song. I mean, I think we all agree that Deborah Harry song was great, right? Kelly? Yeah, that was the worst part. Yeah. Um, Kelly thinks that's better than uh, Roxanne, the song. I might like that Debbie Harry song from Rock and Roll better than Roxanne. Roxanne's played out. It's old. What's even the point? Oh, a dude loves a prostitute. Just stop needling me about the police. The police are awesome. Yeah, Roxanne's okay. Dare you. I like, you know what, Dingus? I, I like Eddie Murphy's cover of Roxanne better than uh, Sting's version from 48 Hours. Uh, just stop it. Stop doing this. You're, Eddie, you're, Tom, Eddie I'm so glad you said that. That's such a good point, Tom. Eddie Murphy's a good singer. He's got a great voice. The man has a beautiful voice. What can I say? How does he spell uh, uh how does he spell things in that movie? Man, I don't I don't I don't know forty eight hours well enough to pick up that reference, Dingus. <laughs> how does he spell things in forty eight hours? Never, never mind. Oh. All right. Ah, uh, you people. All right, uh, so, so uh, yeah, I did what, like a little bit about the the design, I, although I, I really hate the humor in this movie. 
Yeah. I hate, the, I hate New York City. I think it's dumb. But I liked some of the design once I got into the city because one of the complaints I remember was talking. I was talking about when we were talking about. Um, geez, what was the oh Ghost in the Shell? Uh, was that I really didn't appreciate the way that city was designed. It just seemed a little, it didn't seem grimy enough. And I think that's something that Markinson might have said as well. Uh, and I like the way that New York City looked a little grimy. I like that weird bent over Statue of Liberty that looked like it had these strange pod apartments stuck on the side of it. I didn't like the way they just kept using puns and subverting their humor, like Carnage Hall. Uh, that's kind of a cool thing, and but then they completely subverted by calling it Carnegie Hall. I mean, what are you doing with your joke? Do you understand what your joke is at all? Do you understand your humor? Do you guys know what a joke no, is? No, so, they don't uh, know any. So some of the griminess of New York was okay, uh, but that's about as far as I can go. I think it needed more songs, and I hate musicals and music. Says the guy whose favorite movie of last year was La La Land. Good point. Yeah. That's I mean, true. I can't be trusted. I mean, uh, King's Speech, but uh, the the whole plot's supposed to be about her voice and songs and music, and I thought it would just be wall to wall songs. And it, there's only like two, and I can't even tell if their band's supposed to be good or not, or it's just her because they well, always this, get. This, what's out. the daycare thing? What the fuck is that? Because they're still hypnotized. They're still on drugs. Oh, that's right. They're still on drugs. Yeah, that's the. It's a plot point that they're singing. Uh, so, Kelly, you say there's only two songs, and actually there are, I think, four, but what there is only one of, the, the, the soundtrack, like the music, that synth thing, there's like one synth melody that just plays over and over and over, like that's yeah. their background score. They're, it's yeah. like they wrote one little tiny melody, and I can, I'm hearing it now in my head. I need to think of the tightest line to get it out of my head. Yeah, it's their, it's their one motif that anytime they don't have one of their two Cheap's trick songs, the Iggy Pop song at the end, uh, the Earth, Wind, and fire song at the disco or that awesome blondies that awesome deborah harry song that you liked so much kelly wand anytime they uh, weren't playing one of those they were doing that one little riff on a keyboard that i that's dumb too because this i've i've realized music's supposed to be about a certain character like it's a certain character's theme and the movie just plays that randomly right they had they wrote the one piece theme. of incidental music and then everything else is like well yeah. we're just a song yeah yeah and that's and their then, attitude towards their characters yeah it's a character it, in the movie what you need more than that you're so right, too, about the cheap trick looking like it was suddenly dubbed. It just makes no sense. Like, that this <laughs> this character who talks this way and looks like that is suddenly singing a cheap trick song. Yeah, and his line readings are so bored. It's so weird that they've got – this is this will be the answer to the Omar character. Paul Lamatt, his voice work. He just sounds so tired and, like, miserable. Uh, do you know who Angel looked like? Uh, uh, uh. Polly Purebred from Underdog. Oh, yeah. yeah I was kind of hot for Holly, though. Or Polly. Her name was Polly. My God, you got her name wrong. I was, too. Yeah, Polly Purebred. Polly Purebred. Her name's not Holly. Oh, you're so embarrassing. That's embarrassing, Kelly Wand. You got her name Are you wrong. talking about the Underdog Underdog cartoon? Yeah. I don't even know what that is, actually. Underdog? He's like Superman, but a dog. He takes drugs, and it makes oh. him strong. Okay. He has a pill and a ring. I don't know how the pill gets to the ring. He has to refill it, I guess. It's like a Pez dispenser. You just put Pad. Pez in it. Yeah. I like that show. I, I've never seen that live-action movie. I guess the fact that we're talking about Underdog. Wait, there is a live-action Underdog? Yeah. There's a real... They, <laughs> I don't know how they did the Polly stuff. 
And the, they also soft-pedaled the drugs because he doesn't take his uh, magic pills. I don't believe you. Next, you're going to tell me there's a live-action Inspector Gadget. That's just insane. The vet has to feed him his pill in the live-action. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, who was hotter, Angel or the Harley Quinn-sounding chick on the roller skates who was the sister of the Butler brothers? Uh, uh, are you being – That's a, which one do you think? You're, wait, you're asking me who's hotter, Debbie, Harry, or Zap, the American Gladiator? That's what you're asking me? Are you insane? Uh, How do you think I – That's I a ponderable. Like, I don't like muscles on my dames. God. <laughs> I'm weak enough. I don't want to be reminded of it. They have to be really tiny, so I feel like a giant. They can't be like a giant, uh, like the girl from Hannibal, the novel, the bodybuilder. I don't even know what that is. Dang, it seemed like a James Bond villain sidekick. Did it? Like a lesbian. This is one of the things that Chris Parkinson also said, and I I was kind of feeling weird about this too. Didn't the constant panty showing? Yeah, for that character too. Uh, I mean, it was was weird the way that she's the sister of these other like weird doofuses, which reminded me of I don't know, like like those things in Popeye or something. Those. I don't know what they are. They're just goons. out of proportion. Yeah, the goons. They remind me of goons. And then her showing up and jumping around with this ginormous breasts and in her panties and her butt, Gee, like, like we said, changing the shape of the vent that she was going through. Uh, did that bother you guys at all? Or was it just like, yeah, whatever? It's 79, so none of it was bothering me. It was just like, that's what we used to this is what used to uh, play in 79. In uh, Videodrome, there's a scene where James Woods is at work, and he walks by. He's just walking down a hall, and there's a woman pouring coffee. Dude obviously like works at his job. And he reaches out and just grabs her ass, and she turns and smiles at him. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was oh, 1983. Wow. Uh, those were the days. Uh-huh. <laughs> they loved it. They fucking loved it. Women were much cleaner back then. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between counting. Yeah, they were cleaner, and that's why she's a bodybuilder. Cindy, Tom? Is that why you're asking? <laughs> I know, I've got different tastes in the. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I thought it might let you say something crude that would let us segue to this week's 3x3. Which I'm, so, I'm so excited about. What is this week's 3x3 again? I think I forgot. You know what? This one grew on me because... I think I've forgotten. I'm so excited about it. I think I've forgotten what it is. <laughs> this week, since Tom shut down cat scares because he hates the species of cats. We did them. We have cat scares. No, it was jump scares. It's different. A cat scare is a jump scare where it's not the actual monster. Look, we've done dungeons and basements. We've done watch parts and fuses. We've done bombs and time clocks on the bombs in separate categories. (laughs) I thought a cat-themed 3x3 would be fun. But I guess they didn't understand. I didn't give you enough chance. You didn't you didn't explain yourself well enough. If you literally meant cats scaring people, that would have been I 
I, I thought, thought that's what we'd done. I thought we'd actually done cat scares like that phrase because you guys no. piled on me. No, we we talked about it as we talked about both during that whole thing. I mean, I think it's been covered. I saw a cat. I, I saw a movie this week that was a cat bore movie, not a cat scare. A cat what movie? A cat bore movie? Oh, yeah, the, oh it's not a movie. Yeah. Dickens thinks documentaries are movies. Yeah. So it wasn't a cat scare movie. It was a cat bore movie. <laughs> the cat comes out and bores you. It's just, basically, and, and then everybody jumps <laughs> in the audience. Nobody jumped. But hey, following chandeliers. Explain yourself, yeah. Dingus. Yeah, you, you know. uh, I went to see a movie called Keddy, uh, which is a documentary about uh, it's in Turkish about uh, stray cats who live in Istanbul and the culture. Oh, yeah. of Istanbul as related to the cats who live in Istanbul. Wait, you didn't like it? I didn't see um, it, but I, I was kind of curious about it. The way a cat is curious. Uh, I think uh, I think Alexandra put it best when she said that this would have made a great short. Because as a full-length movie, the documentarians were too much in love with their overhead shots of Istanbul uh, to really make a... Uh, uh, to, to create cats. a narrative structure that you really wanted to watch all the way through. Uh, I think that enough of their story could have been contained within 20 minutes to make a full movie about cats. And I love cats. Thing is, I I'll do you, a lot of the pictures of cats. But I'll do you one better. Uh, you could watch this as a three-minute movie by watching the trailer. <laughs> You're probably right. Um, and I liked a lot of the cats that they had in it. I loved, watch, I loved watching the the shots of cats and the different things, but for an hour and a half movie, you're just kind of like, okay, all right, enough of this. And, and and it's not the cats. It's the long pictures, the long loving pictures of Istanbul. And they're trying to make Istanbul a character as well, because what they're trying to do is say that Istanbul is a singular city in its devotion to the stray cat population and how that might be changing now that the city is developing more but they never really get anywhere with it you just meet a couple of cats who like there's this cat who has this personality and that cat who has that personality but they don't understand how to make a narrative what they should have done is done cg and have the cats talk and have celebrities be the voices of the cats well they did that Uh, bruce willis was the voice of all of the cats ah (laughs) <laughs> There's another Turkish documentary I want to see about a talk show host, maybe the, the, basically the equivalent of their Stephen Colbert, who uh, Erdogan ran out of the country because he, was, he would make fun of the Turkish president, and he's super neatly about that. But he's this super charismatic, funny guy, and you know, they, they show clips of his show, uh, and he's basically, I think, living in exile in New York or something. I forget what the name of it is, but uh, that's the Turkish documentary I want to see. It doesn't have it doesn't have many cats in it though, so that mm. that that might be a drawback. Um, wait, but this is, is a movie is podcast. Is the Borat movie? Right, his name is Borat, and he comes from Turkey, and uh, he's constantly talking about his wife, and he sings a song called right. "Throw the Jew Down the Well." It's hilarious, and uh, Erdogan didn't like that, and they threw him out of the country. Yeah, right. it's a, the Borat movie. But but I know that you love "Throw the Jew Down the Well" better than all the police songs because you hate the police so much. It is better than the uh, the one that that mama the, that mother one that Stuart Copeland. That's wrote an Andy Summer. That doesn't count. That doesn't count nope. as a police song. It's not a police album, and and I'd rather hear Borat sing "Throw the Jew Down the Well" than Stuart Copeland shrieking that mother song. It's Andy Summers. Stuart Copeland's the drummer. Stop talking. How Stuart Copeland you? did a did a bitchin' soundtrack for uh, is it the Outsiders? 
Shoot, what's the black and white Coppola movie that has an awesome Stuart Copeland soundtrack? Um, might be The Outsiders, yeah. Or, yeah, from Rumblefish, Rumblefish, exactly, yeah. So that, that's, that, that's better than anything the police has ever done. You can keep pushing. Got him. Got him. Doesn't mean that Kelly Wan. It doesn't mean now. Yeah. Now I'm just going to agree with Kelly Wan that Deborah Harry's disco, Blondie's disco. Oh, Tom uh, told me that the the music in the Play Cats is new wave and not disco. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelly Wan. That's enough about music. Tell us about the three by three that grew on you. Uh, well, it's an established movie trope that we haven't done a three-by-three three of yet. So in a way, it's an honorable tradition because we've covered fruit carts. We've covered uh, car chases. I don't think we've done we've fruit co- carts, actually. Shit. All right, let me write that one down. <laughs> <laughs> we've already done shit. Sorry. We've done shit. We've done erections. We've done oceans. I think I remember where we were when I, when I dropped that one. And let's put, yep. So let's put this list in perspective it could have been something as stupid as three best oceans in movies. And what is it then? It's the three best falling chandeliers. Woo! Yes, we did it. <laughs> Only had a week to come up with these people. Sorry. I know. How do you pick three? Well, Dingus, you sure. are introducing next week's topic. So why don't you start us off with your third the, favorite? The options themselves are like chandelier bulbs. You have so many to pick from. Well, not all chandeliers have bulbs. Some are candles. Sometimes a chandelier is just a chandelier. That's a good point, actually. Sometimes it's Candle. not, though. Sometimes a chandelier isn't a, a chandelier. Do you do you realize that, Kelly? One sometimes a chandelier isn't a chandelier. No, I didn't realize right. that. You're gonna find out, my friend. But not on this. Not on my number three pick. My number three pick. Um, is uh, here's a quote from it. That's okay. The table broke the fall. Oh, uh, Men in Tights. Nope. No, this is from uh, the movie. That's my number two, too. What? You just guessed the wrong movie, and now you're saying it's your number two? No, I misread something. It's uh, Ghostbusters. <laughs> I misread something. I misread it's, just like, it's Ghostbusters and not <laughs> Matrix Revolutions. <laughs> There's a chandelier on that? Yeah, she jumps off of it. Guys? Oh, yeah, in slow motion. So it's your number two, so you're ahead of me. So go ahead and talk about how you how much you love the chandelier. It's uh, when I still don't know ho- what you guys have picked. What are you guys talking about? We're talking about Ghostbusters when they're in the hotel room, not the hotel room, but in the uh, in the room that's being uh, set aside for the wedding. And this is their what? first their first moment where they're going into actually trap a ghost. Yeah, it's and they first go into gig. track. They go into track Slimer. Do you remember Tom? Yeah. Kate McKinnon one? No, well, that's not even. Oh, Jesus. Jesus Christ! What a disaster! I you don't remember this? It's one of the best parts of uh, Ghostbusters. It's one of the best scenes. Why would I see an old movie from the eighties? And the it's from eighty four. It's the year after Rock and Roll came out, so obviously you would have been seeing something like Ghostbusters yeah. the year after Rock and Roll. I don't know if you guys heard, but I was busy this week watching Videodrome. <laughs> <laughs> I was busy this week wondering if. If the emperor got thrown the same way that Mock got thrown, and if one took something from the other, but they both came out in '83. Anyway, oh, yeah. Emperor from Star Wars. I, I was thinking Emperor's New Groove. I was like, what is it? What car? Why is he talking about another cartoon? Okay, the book so in, the, in, in Ghostbusters. They go into this uh, into this ballroom that's right. being set aside for uh, somebody's wedding, 
reception, uh, and it's perfectly set up. And uh, they throw everything around, and and, and they this is the first time they're using their uh, protonic packs, whatever those things are, and uh, in trying to uh, figure out how to use these things, they uh, knock down this huge chandelier that's in the middle of this hotel ballroom, and it falls down in the middle of the room crashing onto this table and bill murray says that's okay the table broke the fall and then outside you see the dude who's setting it all up uh trying to calm down the woman who's paid for this whole wedding and saying don't worry the room will be ready as we as we promised it would be ready and you just hear all this crashing going on inside the room and that chandelier falling is just an amazing amazing special effect i love that and Kelly, why did you love it so yeah. much? Because it was the funniest one. The um, funniest falling chandelier, you're saying? Yeah, and it's the only time I could think of where a chandelier falls and someone doesn't die from it. It's like a non-fatal chandelier fall. Oh, please, you need to think a little farther. I've got one. Really? I've got two. Yeah. I've got two more. That, yeah. Chandeliers fall plenty of times and don't kill anyone, Kelly Wand. I thought they always kill people. So my number – oh, no, Kelly, one, it's your number three. So what's then your third favorite? Apparently someone dies in your third no, favorite. No, no, chandelier. Your no. No, it is yours. Next. Oh, whoops, I wrote it's it It's my stupid order. topic. K-T-G-B. Okay, there, I got it. My third favorite, uh, someone dies, but I don't think it's – well, it is because of the chandelier. It's not the chandelier that kills him, though. And this is, of course, the Joel Schumacher movie, Phantom of the Opera, uh, where oh it's – it's, it, why Jesus. are you guys – is that everybody thought this. The moment you said that, everybody's like, oh, yeah, Phantom of the Opera. Nobody thought uh, anything about Joel Shoemaker. What are you talking yeah. about? Well, that's I the movie know. version is that of the Phantom one that, of the Opera. that Butler's in? Yeah, it's Gerard Butler and Patrick Wilson in a goofy wig. He looks hilarious. Is uh, that Joel Shoemaker movie? movie? I've never yeah, heard yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, Wait, so, but you uh, like that. You like that opera. I love Phantom of the Opera. I'm totally into Phantom of the Opera. Uh, and yeah. so just to hear the music, but the, the funny thing about the Joel Schumacher movie, Gerard Butler cannot – like he's fine. He's not as bad as like Russell Crowe and Les Miserables, but he definitely can't hit those like phantom notes. He doesn't have that kind of booming – I guess he's a baritone or whatever, but he does, definitely does not have a phantom voice. He's huh. definitely cast for his face. The funny so just part – Billy Zane. Uh, well, even that. So the funny part is when his when his mask comes off, because you know in the original Phantom of the Opera, it's who's that Lon Chaney or whoever? It's this ghastly looking fellow. Like the Phantom of the Opera is super yeah. ugly, but in the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical and certainly in the, the movie of it, he's just super handsome. But he's got a scarring on the side of his face. It's like part of his face is a <laughs> dead so stupid. Face. Yeah, it's That's dumb. It's super dumb. dumb. Yeah, it's like Beauty and the Beast, but Beast is fucking. He's hot. He's hunky, but he's got a scar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a there's a there's a Mel Gibson movie like that where he, he his scars oh, yeah, yeah. kind of look like Ted Danson. Yeah, exactly. So right, it's, like, it's sort of like it's still that same you know dude facial. You know, he's got a cool facial structure, and yeah, okay. So there's a texture on part of his skin. Big whoop. Okay. Uh, so anyway, Gerard Butler's a fan of the opera. He's not very good at it, uh, but. Joel Schumacher certainly threw a lot of money at this production. So, of course, in the play, they just have a gimmick where the chandelier moves out over the audience, and it's just on a on a pulley or something. It's a rope, and the audience is supposed to think, yeah, it's going to fall on me, and it doesn't, but it's cool. Uh, and the point of the chandelier falling is that it is – I think it's hanging to death 
uh, one of the stagehands uh, at the end of the rope. Like the chandelier falls and, and kills the guy at the stagehand. Uh, and then the phantom escapes and he kidnaps Christine and the, then the second act happens. Uh, but in the movie, Joel Schumacher totally did this like a huge big budget disaster sequence. It's like the crash of the Hindenburg or something. The size of the chandelier. I mean, it's, it's humanity. It's the size of a the nose of a dirigible. It's huge. It's not uh, chandelier. It's nothing you would have in the Broadway play. It's racist. And it's colossal. Why is that racist? Because of Germans? Huge nose? What are you talking about? It's terrible. It's wrong. It's a huge nose. <laughs> said the blimp had a huge nose. Oh, okay. Well, the the, the, the bow has that. The bow of the dirigible. Yeah, next to the flagpole. <laughs> That's a mast. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. in, at any rate, the, uh, Joel Schumacher's terrible movie of Phantom of the Opera at least has a cool falling chandelier, super expensive special effects sequence. Otherwise, the rest of it stinks. Wait, so. does it fall on the audience in the movie and kill people? No, it does <laughs> not, but it does cause a big old That's fire. That's not possible. You do oh. see the fire that it leads to because in Phantom of the Opera, the play – it falls and you're like – and then the curtain falls and you're like, ooh, what happened? And then when the curtain cam- comes back up, they're all talking about, yeah, I remember when the chandelier fell and there's a horrible fire. And at least Joel Schumacher gets to show the horrible fire. But he, but nobody – the falling chandelier only kills the guy who gets yanked up by the rope. Oh. So this well, I is- thought you said it like it in the play it goes out over the audience. And I was wondering if in the movie because it's still a movie of – a stage play, right? Definitely. It's absolutely Andrew Lloyd Webber's music, and it follows the order of the songs, the book and the lyrics and stuff. All of that is straight up from the play. And that's the thing is when you see a production of Fan of the Opera, which I have, uh, they will generally rig the chandelier in such a way that rather than falling straight down, it swings out towards the audience in like a 3D effect where the audience right. thinks it's going to fall on them. Yeah. And that's the, that was the big buzz like back when I was in – I guess college or high school before Spider-Man made exactly before Spider-Man lit up the darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the movie, it doesn't affect the audience watching it, they, the show. They get out of the way just in time. It's close. Okay. It's really close. It looks like serious chandelier peril, but everyone's okay. Yeah. But in Starlight Express, the train derails and people got killed in the orchestra pit a few times. <laughs> Nobody so likes Starlight Express. Shut it down. Nobody. Um, what? Who's the, the is Sarah, Sarah Brightman isn't in the movie. Uh, Emmy Rossum, Emily Rossum, Emmy Rossum. Oh, uh, uh, whatever, yeah. she's fine. Can she say? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, she's fine. But uh, yeah, but but he I was just ring your name, really. I forget. Oh. What she looks like. I know we've we've done something with her before. I mean, we've done a movie that we talked about her before. Yeah, I mean, she she's had a career, but I just can't. She's just kind of nondescriptly beautiful. Uh, so okay. Yeah. All right, so that comes to you. Kelly Wan, what's your third favorite falling chandelier in a movie? It's probably probably Phantom of the Opera, but you might have subbed something in because I picked that. Rossum would be a cool review for Rock and Roll, like a little logo for it. If Scooby-Doo was reviewing it. Yeah. Rossum! Uh, but your question was about something else, I believe, for some reason. Uh, so my number three is uh, in the James Bond movie that I didn't see, Die Another Day. <laughs> I can't believe there's a James Bond movie you haven't seen. Why have you not seen Die Another Day? I don't like the Brosnan ones. Uh, I think they're not. Is that the one with Michelle Yeoh? No. Okay. I think it's it's one with Halle Berry, I think. Oh, man, whatever. 
Good but there's Lord. a bit. It, yeah, and I think it was the. I think it's the only one I've never seen all the way through. Um, but it was on cable, and I, I've seen chunks of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the villain looks kind of interesting because he he has like blue veins on his head and mm-hmm. uh, a urethra. <laughs> no, uh, so. In Die Another Day, James Bond has a car that turns invisible, and there's a big car chase out Wait, of ice. Wait, no, nobody has a car that turns invisible. What do you mean it turns invisible? Really? He hits a button, it turns invisible. But then the what? other guy He's has got a Romulan a car? He's got a Romulan car, but the bald guy who can't feel pain, that's his superpower. <laughs> uh, that winds up not being very relevant, but uh, <laughs> he has a car too, and his car sees infrared. So he just clicks that on, so they kind of undo the invisibility. Wow, he he's got James Bond's number, and then he shorts it out, and then he shoots like a torpedo at James Bond's car. Oh, they're and in the James- water now. When did they get in the water? They're on the ice. It's like an airborne torpedo. <laughs> an ice torpedo. An airborne. Yeah, it's an ice. Torpedo. It's an air torpedo. There's, there's a word for that. Airborne torpedo. Yeah, I think we I think we thought up a word for that being a separate thing, Kelly Wand. Actually, shoots it under the ice, and it's a water missile. That he shoots <laughs> at uh, James Bond, but James Bond tricks him because James Bond's car has flipped over. I can't wait so- to figure out how a chandelier plays into this. But go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's why it's my number three. The, because- the inside, the inside little light inside the car is a chandelier. <laughs> there's a chandelier button on the car. No, there's an ejector seat, and his car's upside down, and the, he opens the sunroof, or maybe it's already open, and then he hits, he fits the ejector seat, and it flips his car back over. And then well, wouldn't it ram it his over. head into the ground in the process? <laughs> no, why would that? Yeah. He's in midair at the time. Oh no, it's not his ejector seat. I'm sorry, it's the passenger oh. ejector seat. Okay, you would want to be very careful about which button you hit in that situation. That would have been kind of funny if you'd gotten mixed up, though. <laughs> like in the Mel Brooks version. Um, so All right, then, so still no sign of a chandelier. Go on. So then they, this, the chase goes on around the ice, and then they shoot they shoot missiles at each other, but they both blow up, and then they both like stop shooting missiles, and James Bond turns his car around. And then I thought, wait, now he's turned his car around. Now you shoot a missile, because he's not facing you. But the ball guy doesn't think of that, because he's immune to pain. Maybe that's a painful thought. So then they, the chase goes into like an igloo and up like a parking structure that's made of ice, like a bunch of stories in a spiral. And then uh, James Bond tricks the guy somehow by turning invisible again and then visible, but it somehow makes the car appear somewhere it's not. So the guy tries to ram him, but he's not there. It sounds like something the Roadrunner would do. And then... The bald guy crashes into some water, and then as James Bond's on his way out, he like shoots a chandelier made out of ice in the room, and it falls on the guy in the water. And then you see the water turn red. And then he also screams as the chandelier is falling, even though he doesn't feel pain. He's not immune to concern. <laughs> and then what a great! I never, I can't believe that ice chase after all those water missiles ended with chandelier falling. But like, just seemed really inspired to me. Wow, we so just got a we got a bonus opsis just now. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to see Die Another Day now. Die I know everything day. that happens. Yeah. I guess that title doesn't apply to the bald guy. Mm. Very good. Dingus, <laughs> your second favorite chandelier falling in a motion picture would be 
Oh. Here's a quote from it. It has something. It has something in common with Kelly's. Uh, uh, it's Rossum. Pick. Here it is. Queen Elsa, don't be the monster they fear you are. Bride of Frankenstein. No, uh, this is also an ice chandelier. And uh, I love that you picked an ice chandelier because this is my second favorite. And I thought of this immediately. And I love this movie so much. This is from the movie Frozen. And uh, this is the chandelier that Elsa has created inside her castle. And when the guards uh, come to get her, uh, and they have this battle inside her castle. Uh, there's that weird moment where she's battling both of the guards and she traps one against the wall with these weird ice spikes and one of those uh, great, uh, uh, I don't know, it's like the uh, the T-1000 uh, thing that the T-1000 does with its like uh, long, pointy, I'm going to, poke your neck kind of a thing. She does that with an ice crystal up to one of the guards and she's about to like shoot one of the guards off of the balcony. And, um, and it's like, stop, stop. Don't let them think that you're the monster that you are. And then the guard that's trapped up against the wall raises his crossbow and the guy coming to rescue her, like smacks it out of his hand or smacks it up and it shoots up and it hits the, uh, the ice chandelier, which comes down uh, and almost kills her, but just knocks her out basically because she runs away from it. But it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and the reason that I thought of it is because um, my favorite lyric in Let It Go, which is one of my favorite songs from that movie, maybe my favorite song, but I think my favorite lyric in that movie. And what I kept Listening when I would listen to the soundtrack, and I've listened to it a lot of times because I really just love Frozen. Is uh, is this? It kept. I kept thinking I was hearing the word fractals mentioned, and in Let It Go, and 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 what she says is what she sings is my soul is spiraling in frozen fractals all around, and that's in that scene where she's when she's creating the ice palace when she sings my soul is spiraling in frozen fractals all around is when she's creating. At that moment, right after that, she's creating that ice chandelier that is above that great room there. But I, I love that 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 I just love that lyric. My soul is spiraling in frozen fractals all around because of the way fractals relate to the crystals of the ice that she that is part of her life. And this almost kills her, but it just ends up knocking her out. But that falling chandelier because of the guards, you know, that weird, like, ah, oh, I've knocked your hand off. Uh, but it could cause somebody to die. That fro- that falling thing, and you talking about a, you talking about an ice chandelier, I can't believe you actually brought up another ice chandelier. I didn't think that would be another ice chandelier possible, uh, other than in, like an animated movie like Frozen. Um, but I just, I, I freaking love Frozen so much, and it was so much of a joy to watch that scene again. And uh, I just, and then to hear, I watched that scene, but then I watched uh, Let It Go again and watched her building her ice palace and realized that that frozen fractals thing is when she builds the chandelier. That line is better than anything uh, the police has ever written. <laughs> Who are the police again? Matthew Sumners, Stuart Copeland, and uh, uh, Rick Wilson. Is that the man where one of them's an Indian and another one's a construction <laughs> worker? Because I know one of them is a policeman, so I thought that's why they're called the police. 
That's absolutely true. And one of them is a podcaster. It's weird how he's dressed. <laughs> All right, Dings is. Uh, That's a good joke. Number two is frozen. It raged, but it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's Everybody the one you are, Kelly. <laughs> frozen. Is that movie for nine-year-old girls? That's why I like it. Mm. That came out wrong. Mm. Tom's number two. Uh, my number two is a movie called Paranormal Activity 4. There's just a dumb scene where a chandelier falls and it scares the found footage. I don't think I've well, seen this. I think you told uh, me not you to. Probably, yeah, there's no – after the second one, I don't think there's any reason there's really to stick with them. There is a – Which there, one's the one where the witches now. show up? That's the fourth. That's where at the very end – ooh, it's witches. Yeah. Uh, and at one point, there, uh, it's just – it's a jump scare where there's a – because in a found footage movie, this is super convenient. You never know what's at the edge of the frame. So a lot of times no. something will jump in from the edge of the frame. But this jumps in from above because it's a falling chandelier. It just breaks and it makes you jump. Which I one's the one where – with the cool dog? That's two, isn't it? With Abby. That's two. That's two. German uh, Shepherd, yeah. That was right before there. the catfish guys came on board, as Kelly Wand would call them. I thought they did two. No, yeah, the they two, did three Is two four. the same one with the fan – no, that's the catfish guys. That's three. That's three. All right. Yeah. There's one. I, one I really a thing I like in three a lot where the babysitters there, and the, the camera's like, yeah, the sheet. I thought that yeah, part's okay. good. And then yeah. no, no, and the, and she's really good. Like she's all perky and first, and does a cat scare to you, and then it cuts to her when the parents are home, and she's just sitting there like freaked out, and then she's really subdued. Like, hey, okay, I gotta go. Like she just seems kind of shattered. It's this really a quiet moment. I like yeah. that part. Good work, Catfish guys. You made one scene I really like. <laughs> <laughs> but the knife's stupid. But that's three. Isn't that the which one? Witches? And then the fourth one's the... You know what? You're probably right. So no, fourth three is when the little girl... So it's uh, one and two are kind of concurrent, right? Like Katie Feathers yeah. and both of them. And then three is with little girls, I think. And then yeah. four is with also the little girl's back in time and there's witches i think and then five is the one that just gets crazy with the bat with the crazy haunted house stuff at the end that's and then four. there's that's four well, you which might is be the right. spanish one that's six or that doesn't even have a that's, number that's yeah. called the marked ones paranormal activity the marked ones uh, no one's right. seen it yeah that's, that's like rogue, rogue squadron Exactly right, right. I don't even know how or whether that's supposed to i haven't seen it whether that's supposed to fit into the paranormal activities maybe there aren't five then kelly wand i thought there were five Remember when they said, no, they said the fourth one, they go, everything's going to be resolved in this. You're going to see. And then it's like complete nothing. Never so believe what people say when they're trying to get you to see a movie because <laughs> they made it. Cause they Remember were the last season of Lost was the time for questions is over. Yep. So the the one you're talking about, Tom, is just a random chandelier falling. Yeah. So I, uh, they're, they're starting to think, oh, there's ghosts in the house. And you see actually a chandelier sort of swinging. And they're going, oh, I'm going to go look at this. What's up with that? And, and they're, they're walking and they're walking. Because found footage movies, why, some, why they work and why they're stupid is that found footage is generally something mundane. And this is something that a movie like Blair Witch Project uh, or good found footage understands, is that found footage is effective because it's realistic and mundane and then crazy mm -hmm. things can happen. Uh, and that's why it's a movie that you're watching. So in found footage, you're just watching normal things happen, and when something scary happens, it's unexpected. But 
bad movies just draw it out and have a lot of nothing happening where you're just waiting for the jump scare. Yeah. And that's what the paranormal activities become. And in this instance, the jump scare, they see the chandelier swinging and she walks downstairs and she's going to see what it is. And, and then we're waiting for something to happen and we're waiting as she's going through the house. And then just the chandelier falls from the roof right in front of the camera and just smashes on the ground in front of her. Nobody gets killed, Kelly Wand. Nobody even gets hurt. Are they super rich people? Is that why they have a chandelier? It's not even a, a fancy chandelier. It's just like a nice light fixture with a bunch of bulbs on it. Uh, it's basically okay. a middle class chandelier. All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a knife. Uh, well, that save that for the knife three by three, Kelly Wand. Uh, by the way, Kelly Wand also uh, that's a, a one of my favorite cat scares, but with a chandelier. So that would have worked for your other three by three. Hey you. <laughs> We know that Kelly Bond's number two is Ghostbusters, so let's get down to the best chandeliers falling in all How of movies. How exciting! Kelly Wand, why, oh no, Dingus, why don't you I'm start? I'm nervous. The best one of all pressure. I can't, I can't wait for no, my number one. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm. All right, here's a quote from my number one choice. You're embarrassing your country. And there's no way either of you will figure out what I'm talking about. So I know what it is. I know what it is. It's the winter 2016 uh, election, November 2016. Nope. No. Let's try. Uh, it's from a movie called Hudson Hawk, uh, oh, and this that's is bad as the November 2016 election. <laughs> uh... And this is what I was talking about, Kelly, when I said a chandelier that looks like a chandelier but really isn't actually a chandelier. Uh, and I love this. I love this so much. I'll post a picture of this when I post the thread because um, uh, Hudson Hawk has been. Uh, blackmailed basically into stealing the Da Vinci Codex from the Vatican Museum. And he is tasked with going in there and trying to figure out, you know, how the heck am I going to do this? And he goes in there with his little uh, steno pad uh, and he's writing down all the things he's going to need. He's looking at, uh, he's casing out the joint and he finds where the Da Vinci Codex is. It's in this special rooftop area right in the middle of this huge, great room. It's a beautiful, beautifully laid out, but nobody can go past the, the area where you're supposed to go. And there's this beautiful, huge glass chandelier that's hanging over it. Um, and he can't quite figure out what the, how, what the security situation is. And, uh, there's this little girl, uh, probably around my son's age, maybe 10, 11 years old, who has this stuffed elephant that she's just smacking against the stairway just cause she's a psychotic little girl. And he looks at her like, you're so weird. She's just smacking her, this stuffed element elephant. Cause she's totally bored being in this museum. And the thing is squeaking and she smacks it against the stairs, smack, smack, smack. And her mom comes and gets her and goes, you're embarrassing your country. Come over here. Um, and then, um, Oh God. Andy McDowell comes down leading a tour of people. And she's talking about the Da Vinci codex and how it's being protected here and why it's important. And suddenly Bruce Willis as uh, Hudson Hawk has an idea and the camera shifts to a shot from behind where the codex is. And you see this elephant, the stuffed elephant fly over and land where the codex is and this triggers the security system and the thing you thought was a chandelier this beautiful glass lighted structure that's overhead is actually a security structure and it comes down boom 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 and 
encompasses where the codex is uh, so that if you were to try to steal it you would be trapped inside of it basically uh but it looks like a chandelier that's what's designed to look like but it's really a security structure kelly i want to arrest him it's not an actual chandelier arrest him right now i'm outraged i can um, hear the outrage in your voice i'm furious i don't know I, i'm partial to hudson hawk so i'm probably gonna let him keep driving all right. It's uh, actually a chandelier, but it's it's disguised as a chandelier. It's a well, that means it's system. not. That means when you're disguised as something, Dingus, you are not that thing. If ah, I Dingus, if I show up and I'm in a disguise to look like Groucho Marx, am I Groucho Marx? You might very well be, because Groucho Marx is often disguised as Groucho Marx. Which is what this is like. Mm-hmm. It's like if Groucho Marx. It's like uh, Scanner Darkly. Can't believe you're not arresting him. There ain't what? no sanity clause. <laughs> But this, our jails are overcrowded already. Good, because my number one pick, it's Uh-oh. the planet that falls on Kirsten Dunst's face in Melancholia. I'm sure that somewhere on that planet, there, is there a was chandelier. a chandelier. So that when the planet hits her in the face, she's been hit by a falling chandelier. That's my. Number That's one your number pick. one, is yep. when you don't even see? Well, it, no, but if you mm-hmm. assume it's there. It's a whole planet. No, he's just, he's just a planet messing consists, with me. No, I'm not. It's my number one. A whole planet. A planet consists of everything. That's why it's called a planet. Somewhere on there was a chandelier. You're, you're not being serious right now. Yeah, I'm serious. There's a chandelier somewhere on that planet. The planet's called Melancholia. Somewhere there is a chandelier. It is part of what has fallen onto Kirsten Dunst's face in Melancholia. True story. So we can we – can, come on. What's your real number one? Oh, sorry. Let me look here. Uh, melancholia. When the planet hits Kirsten Dunst in the face. That's what I wrote. So basically anything we choose, like your favorite trash can in a movie, Melancholia. You can choose it. Yeah. There's a whole planet full of, of stuff, Dingus. Somewhere in All there. All right. We have a we have a get out of jail free card if we want it, Dingus. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just I, – I mean I'm assuming That's really right. your choice. I don't know. If, uh, I couldn't think of a third falling chandelier. What? They're everywhere. You can't you can't avoid them. <laughs> All right, well, give me an example. Kelly, on, what is the best falling chandelier in a movie? There's an iconic one. Wait, that's not on my list. list. Yeah, go ahead. I thought of two before I even like really even thought about it, and uh-huh. so I was down to these two. Uh-huh. I think I'm with Dingus on this. You are a shameful creature. At least I'm not in jail. Face. Yeah, you are. Why no, do you think you, you said the jails are full? You said they're full. There's no room for anyone. Uh, we're going to fry someone tonight and you get us some. Because this is an emergency. Did you this guys is... know that Arkansas is trying to, I think in the next two weeks, is pushing through something like eight or 11 uh, capital punishment sentences because something is about to, like some sort of legal statute is going to expire for the use of the, the, right. the lethal injection drug. They're trying to push through something like 11 executions in the next few weeks. That's insane. So, yeah, they, they're in a they're in a situation where they have to do like four a day, and that's that's Arkansas. That's where I come from. That's my home. Is we yeah. Uh, yeah. we're gonna that's we're where gonna, my son is on vacation right now. We're gonna set a world record, probably. Well, you know what? I don't know. I'm sure that like ISIS probably holds the actual record. We'll come in at number two behind ISIS. Arkansas will. Thank well, you. work ethic wise, sure. it's a positive story. We'll, we'll get on Arkansas as, as quickly as we're getting on ISIS. The way Arkansas got on Kirsten Dunst in Melancholia. No, there's no Arkansas. That's a, that's a, that's that's a well, there, I'm sure that planet has an Arkansas, Arkansas on it. There's only, it has one. An Arkansas. Yeah. there's only one. Arkansas is unique. That's why it's that's capital. That's why it's, that's why it's written it's in very a capital. Very unique. I don't know if you guys it, know what a capital just, term means. 
Uh, yeah, they took the state called Kansas and added an R to the beginning. And uh, let's change all, the whole pronunciation. That's offensive to the American Indians who gave us that word. And second of all, <laughs> no. Why'd they spell it goofy? American Indians use letters differently, Kelly Wand. Why can't they you be have different languages? I don't know. <laughs> that's a good point. I didn't think about it like that. But speaking of Indians, my number one... <laughs> Favorite chandelier in a movie is in From Dust Till Dawn when George Clooney is getting stepped on by Selma Hayek, who's a vampire, even though when she stepped on Quentin Tarantino, it was sexy. But now she's going to crush George Clooney. And then I don't really get this one, actually, because he she's standing on him and then he's loading a gun and she's unimpressed that he's loading a gun because she's a vampire. But then... She's all, yeah, I'm going to make you my slave. You're going to do this and that every day. And then he goes, yeah, thanks. I've already been married. And then he shoots the chandelier above her, and it falls on her and kills her, I guess because it's got wood in it. But I don't know why it doesn't kill him, too, because he's right under her. So you think from the angle it would have killed both of them. Well, what is particular to killing her? I guess the wood part. But it's a cool, like, he's not going to shoot her he's going to shoot the thing above her so it's like the chandelier is the uh instead of using your bullet you're doing a bank shot you see right. it's what we call it's what well, we call in video games an environmental kill but yeah he can't kill her with a bullet right right he has to but kill her with a stake yeah and i guess there's a wooden stake in the middle of the chandelier because then she dissolves from it on the floor oh. Doesn't she have a musical number in uh, yeah, Dusk Dusk? Strip tease Yeah, him. that is better than any music video the police have ever done. I'll tell you that much. It's I love better that than number. any of the musics in uh, rock and roll. Except for that Signal song. You're right, Kelly Wand. Except for that Deborah Harry song. Absolutely. I wonder Good if the point. Planet Melancholia has better group than the police on it. They must. We'll never know because it hit Earth. And well, we'll know when, when I uh, choose my category of favorite police songs. And as soon as you melancholia. pick, I will do that when you pick a three by three of favorite falling chandeliers. I will definitely bring up melancholia again because it's a good it's a good example. You, I mean, no chandelier, no chandelier fall is as spectacular as a planet with a chandelier attached to it. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, a chandelier with a planet attached to it falling. We don't know that that, that, that is planet way is even populated. If you had chosen another Earth, maybe. Well, they, they don't hit one. each other. The planet doesn't fall on another. Yeah, Earth. but Melancholia might just be an asteroid. You don't know that it's got anything built no, on it. That's the whole plot line. Is there's people there and they're they're, they're chandelier makers. They're renowned yeah. for their making of oh, chandeliers. Large right. Frontier has a there's a lot of exposition. There's a title crawl, in fact, that explains that. Lars von Chandelier. There you go. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wan. What are the list? Oh wait, did you? Yeah, what do the listeners have for us? Because I'm sure a lot of them. I'm gonna okay. Three best planets this is gonna be my next three by three. I'm gonna take Melancholia <laughs> off the table. Then you're Tatooine. gonna have to watch something. Uh, That's one of your favorite three planets. Yeah, Tatooine's cool. Hoth. No, it's not. Hoth is and, cool. Uh, Hoth is really cool. You don't think Tatooine is cool? No, I think it's bullshit. I don't like it's it. Got, it's got two suns. Two suns like Tatooine so much. That they went over there. I like the suns, but I don't think it's a... I agree with Luke. It's the farthest thing from the brightest whatever. <laughs> but never belong. <laughs> I agree with that's Luke. How, whatever that's you said, how he should have said it. <laughs> it's the Hamburg of planets. 
Uh, Literally. Too soon. I wish Tarkin had decided to destroy Melancholia way back when, so we wouldn't have had to have this discussion. Leia never would have given him the coordinates to Melancholia. Never. didn't need that. Oh, that is right. They kind of have maps. They don't. It's not like she's telling them how to get there. There, that's a good point. Right. Alderaan had chandeliers on it, and they fell onto the Millennium Falcon later. Anyway, what do the listeners have to say? Oh, really? You don't want to keep... <laughs> Paul Weaver writes, Hi, guys. I hope to bring the house down with these pics of falling chandeliers. <laughs> Number three. In the 1993 Three Musketeers, Porthos, parentheses, Oliver Pratt? It's Platt. You're thinking of Chris Pratt. Jesus! <laughs> or Oliver Platt. <laughs> <sighs> See what parentheses do to you? Rides a falling chandelier to help knock out some of the Cardinal's guards that he and his friends are dueling with. He doesn't manage to hit the head of them. Rochefort, though, much to his disappointment. Oh, yeah, I just thought of a cool alternate. Number two, in Mars Attacks, a falling chandelier is what kills First Lady Glenn Close. Been getting zapped by the Martians, maybe. (laughs) Rascal. Number one. In the original Ghostbusters, the titular heroes drop a chandelier on the Slimer ghost in the hotel ballroom. Ghost capture scene in an effort to stop it. It hits a table instead. Best regards, Paul Weimer. Do you guys remember Mars Attacks? Is that something that we should ever watch again? No. Oh, no. Oh, Lord. Okay. I just want to make sure because I remember seeing it and hating it. I like a couple jokes in it. We come in peace. I like a few things, but it's so fucking long and stupid. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Jaime Cabrera? Jamie Cabrera? Is it Jaime Cabrera? Let's do Jaime. Jaime Cabrera. Hey, guys. Because that's how Jamie's spelled in Game of Thrones, I think. It's spelled kind of Jaime-ish. Hey, guys. I only have time to send in one pick this week, but I love this one. I couldn't let it pass by. I know the 3x3 Police, Dingus's favorite band, might pull me over for submitting a cartoon. <laughs> I hope I remember the 3x3 correctly for this week. Number one, Emperor's New Groove. Oh, I like that movie. Tom does too. Tom's an Emperor's New Groove apologist. David Spade's finest work. It is. David Spade. Uh, uh, Sorry, other than Tommy. Tommy Boy. Isn't David Spade the Maltese Falcon detective? David Spader. What's his name? In the fam. James Spader. James Spade. In the finale. Now you got me confused. David Spader? You're right. It's Does David the Spade. The, the, oh, okay. David Spade. Yeah, Kelly Mond's making a Sam Spade joke. In the finale of the movie, Kronk, voiced by Patrick Warburton, has had enough abuse from the villain of the story and cuts the cord holding up a chandelier over her head. Unfortunately, because she's so grotesquely thin, the chandelier lands around her with the cap in the middle, allowing it to miss her entirely. And then he sent a picture of it, and she's all, What? That's what her face looks like. Just so <laughs> you guys get a picture. She's purple and she's holding like a pink potion. And she's really skinny and kind of, she looks like Jar Jar, but like if she, Jar Jar was kind of sick. I know the listening audience can see this picture. You get the idea. Love the show as always. I'm a Cabrera. It's a really good picture, people. If, like, if you can only just feel what I see. Arthur Jovan and Jelly writes, number three, Mars attacks. Glenn Close killed by the Nancy Reagan chandelier when it falls during the Martians' raid on the White House. Number two. Oh, fuck me. Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. This is the anime for white people. (laughs) Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one. 
Dobby, the house elf, breaks into Malfoy Manor, where he was once a servant to help Harry Potter, Hermione Granger, and Ronald Weasley escape the Death Eaters. In doing this, he incapacitates Peter Wormtail Pettigrew. Oh, God. <laughs> Come on. British. <laughs> Allowing Harry and Ron to break out of their cell and gain wands. <laughs> oh, yeah. Iconic. Dobby then helps Luna Lovegood and Mr. Ollivander, the wand maker, get away before returning to help Harry and Ron rescue Hermione. <laughs> After they've subdued Draco Malfoy, his family and his henchmen, Dobby drops a chandelier near Bellatrix Lestrange to discover their escape. Unfortunately for Dobby, Lestrange still manages to throw a knife. I'm, I'm changing my number one. <laughs> Did I that you see that movie? That's so his other two picks are like one sentence each, but for that one he felt the need to describe every <laughs> single character and like so you said, uh, Kelly Wan, anime for white people. You're white. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Have either of you seen that movie? No, I'm not I for the same reason I haven't Same reason I haven't seen what? Oh, same reason I haven't seen Frozen. Yeah. I'm not a not a, a you, small child. You've seen Frozen? Well, oh, no, no, you're right. I did see it when it was called Tangled. Uh, <laughs> see, I don't see adjective movies for kids, so I didn't see either of them. No, I just haven't gotten around to it. I do want to see it, though. But no, I haven't seen Harry Potter movies. Why would I do that? I haven't seen Twilight movies either. Yeah. I tried to watch the first one one time, like the middle of it, just to see. Like, maybe maybe the teenage girls know something I don't. Like, no, they're... <laughs> I thought they for sure you'd seen Frozen, Tom, but I guess that it was Tangled I was thinking of that you'd seen. Yeah, I love Tangled. But, uh, yeah, No, I've not seen Frozen. I need to because I know there's a famous song in it, and there's a snowman named Olaf, and there's a princess, and it's like it takes place on Hoth or whatever. <laughs> takes place I on like high school movies. What? But I, don't like, I, don't like twi- I like high school movies, but I don't like Twilight. Like, I'll watch Bring It On. Never mind. The Emperor's new groove, after Yzma has insulted her henchman Kronk, he decides to turn against her. His shoulder angel encourages him to drop a chandelier on Yzma, <laughs> which he does. Unfortunately for Kronk, Yzma is so skinny, she slips through a hole. Did he send you a picture? No. Oh. You can he go back had, and look at the other one, then. He sent. He didn't send a picture of the Harry Potter one, either. Yeah. But he could have and just gone, this is the Dobby character? <laughs> hmm. This, uh, this is a listener named Keith Leith. E-I-T-H, both. Wow. That's amazing. Keith Leith. Keith Leith. Huh. Greetings. First time contributor. Already wondering why. I have taken a necessarily <laughs> loose interpretation. Well, he picked a grand topic to enter this conversation in. Number one. In Raiders of the Lost Ark, a circle of dropped torches in the Well of Souls looks a bit like a dropped chandelier if it had been made of torches. Okay. Kevin, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you're not taking any nonsense today. Necessarily loose interpretation. I take uh, issue with the word necessarily. You didn't have to. Never mind. Number two, War of the Roses. Oh, yeah, this is a... Oh. Oh, this was one. one of my. This was one of the iconic ones because yeah. it's a huge story 
the it's like it represents. Oh, I the, forgot uh, this. This is the first one I thought of, and I go, well, at least I got that in the can, and then I didn't even put it on my list. But a sabotage light fitting is just one of the many examples showing that domestic violence is a fun way to solve relationship issues. <laughs> well, they're going to murder each other, but then they weigh too much, and it knocks the chandelier down. Number three, in The Legend of Billie Jean, all who meet Helen Slater are struck by her messianic power and animal magnetism, including rich kid Keith Gordon, who attempts to charm her by inching towards an open upstairs window and falling out of it into a swimming pool, not yet revealed to the audience or present cast members. He is holding a candle while doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Keith Gordon is a chandelier. Nice. It would be funny if it turned out he's making up the candle even. It's like, I'll just, like he just wanted to work that in, like, uh, candle. My favorite, when Alan Rickman had the candle when he was falling at the end of Die Hard. That would be one of my yeah. favorite chandeliers. Mm, and when Bruce Willis shot him with his candle. <laughs> and then said, yippee candle a motherfucker. That's the response I was expected. Refreshing. <laughs> I approve. Kind regards, Keith Leith. Markardson. Hey, guys. I'm going to choose... Sorry, I made him sound a little swishy there. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. I'm going to choose chandeliers over anime opsies. See? Canadians are cool. Unlike Harry Potter apologists. I love that as a tagline for when you're going into Canada. Canadians (laughs) are cool. (laughs) That's what the license plate says. Number three, Glenn Close plays the first lady in Mars Attacks. When the aliens attack the White House, the alien tries to shoot her. A Secret Service agent shoots the alien instead, throwing off the shot, which doesn't hit the first lady. It said, Number two, in War of the Roses, Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas having a bit of an acrimonious divorce. See, that's a Canadian way to put it. Huh? What Can you describe what's going on with the chandelier? Because I can't remember. The, only, the main thing I remember from War of the Roses is when he pees on what she's having fish. cooked. Yeah, when he pees on the fish. I don't remember uh, the chandelier. The uh, and I remember. I also remember his cigarette. He's constantly pulling on because of the sound of the cigarette and the way they do that. What, what's going on with the chandelier? Odd in the pate. He runs over a cat, but by accident. But he's mm-hmm. kind of dismissive of it. But then uh, at the chandelier, it's after they've locked themselves in the house and she's going to murder him so she's cutting the rope for the chandelier but it doesn't work for some reason and then later they're just fighting in general um, by the banister and she jumps out on the chandelier because she's a gymnast and then he's still kind of into her <laughs> strangely so he he's all I'm going to come save you and she's like fuck off and then he still comes out and then their combined weight brings the chandelier down and then they both die and then in their dying oh. He puts his hand on her, and then in her dying moment, she like takes his hand and like shoves it off her. She's like, eh. It's good. Well, I remember one of the lines I remember is like at least them talking about like him saying something about their sexual relationship. And she says something along the lines of, "You sp- you still expect me to reassure you sexually, even now that we despise each other." Yeah. Which I really, I really love that line, but I, mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't remember any of the Chandler stuff. Uh, right. seems Oliver. Yeah, the Chandler is the end of the movie. Uh, okay, it's very symbolic. Uh, the bolts give way. The Chandler plummets to the floor, killing Turner and Douglas. Number one, I'm excited about in Demolition Man. <laughs> Wait, what? 
The recently thought out John Spartan uses his shotgun to hit a chandelier, making it fall and shatter the glass floor that Simon Phoenix is standing on. <laughs> this causes Phoenix to fall to the basement. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Chris. <laughs> That's all the description you need of the demolition man, Denoma. <laughs> A fall to the basement. Yeah, Phoenix Dude. is in the basement now, Kelly Wand. Yeah. That's how that happened. Yeah. Had to explain the iconic that basement fall from Demolition right. Man that Wesley Snipes <laughs> has on his reel. That's what got him the Blade uh, audition, I think. It's like, see? Look what I can do. Look. I fell. With a little help. Uh, Demolition Man. Let's watch it. Sandra Bullock, super cute in it. All right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Taco Bell's the only restaurant. Oh, that's hilarious. Who thought that joke up? That's hilarious. And seashells are uh, toilet paper, vice versa. Wait, it'd be the other way around. Not if you go to the ocean. And then... Never mind. Okay, uh, that's it. We're done with all chandeliers, right. unless you have alts. All right, so Dingus, if we don't have alts, you know what that means. It's time for you to tell us what's next week's 3 by 3 Oh, I have an alt. Uh, men in tights, uh, there's a fight, and uh, Robin Hood cuts the rope to a chandelier, but uh, a different chandelier falls on top of him, and that's the joke. So he somehow got two ropes mixed up and ah. two chandeliers. So, he's an idiot. Okay, <laughs> That'll that's happen. My yeah. Welcome, slaves. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Fan of the Opera, Robert Guillaume. Melancholia, Carson Dunst. Arkansas, <laughs> Debbie Harry. Emily Rossum, Dingus. All right, am I supposed to give a topic for next week now? Yeah. All right, uh, your three favorite measurements. Oh, hmm. Hmm. I'm mostly thinking about length. Um, from the base? Uh, well, it depends how wide it is around the base. Um, but basically, uh, I'm thinking about length, but uh, I'm going to not limit it to length. I'm just asking for measurements in movies. Do you have any questions? You probably shouldn't um, ask that. Uh, I I'm don't, but Kelly Tom. Wand might. Oh, no, I do not. If Kelly Wan does, he should submit them in written form to the three by three questions department. Can't mm. do that, Sam. Very good point. <laughs> and if any X, <laughs> go ahead. Tell people how how are you going to do that? I'm going to submit my question right now uh, to whether you want the number itself or the act of measuring, like two three X three at quarter to three dot com. That doesn't sound right. That yeah, sounds absolutely is. right. You're on. It's really short. It's yeah, too easy to remember. You are on wow. point, Kelly Wand. And in fact, if people want to talk about next week's movie, uh, they could also write to that same thing that you just said, 3x3 at quarter3.com. What movie are we seeing next week, Tom? <sighs> the Fate of the Furious. It's a uh, franchise I've I'm broken excited. up with. I've I've been broken up with it for some time now. So. What? Maybe we'll see if it uh, can win me back. It's got a uh, Furiosa in it. What can be more appropriate? Charlize Theron is in it? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I kind of wish you hadn't told me that. That would have been cool to discover, but I did not know that. 
He's I making a Fury Road joke. Oh, yeah, uh, is he? Well, yeah, but she's in the movie. No, I don't. I would have assumed you do that. I didn't think that was a spoiler. Really? That's a spoiler. I, uh, I mean, I don't. A Fury Road joke. Yeah, you spoiled it for David. No, I don't. I, don't I thought you since you'd I'd... broken up with the franchise, you were a little loosey goosey on spoil. Like, I don't even care enough about. No, no. I mean, I, it's, it just says more about how much Dingus and I don't follow like announcements of movies when we know we're going to see them than than whether or not I care about the movie. I, I okay. Well, I'm now more curious about it. Not as curious about this uh, Atomic Blonde movie that she's doing from one of the John Wick guys later in the summer. That I'm more curious about because that Kelly Wand, it's rated R. Fast and uh, uh, the yeah. Furious, I bet in PG-13 all the way. That's yeah. my guess. One F-bomb, you will be allowed one F-bomb, no blood. And that F-bomb is going to be family. <laughs> <laughs> so join us for the fate of the – am I saying it even right? It's fate of the – it's just the fate of the Furious? It just sounds so weird. Well, it's, it, what's weird Does is – Does that mean it's the last town, one? Because you don't drive as much – uh, around town as I do, Tom. But no, I've seen you see those that's a spoiler? That's you've a, seen those billboards? Yeah, that's a spoiler. All right. I hate knowing that. That would have been cool to. That would be like if you're having an eighteen poster and it shows the tank parachuting out of an airplane on the poster. Don't yeah. give that away. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. We'll find out. So uh, join us for that podcast next week, The Fate of the Furious, and our three by three of our favorite measurements. Uh, I'm assuming. Uh, in case, uh, just to let the 3 by 3 questions department know that it's a reference to the actual measurement value and not the uh, – Send your question in. <laughs> and not the what? Not the act of measuring. That was what Kelly Wan was going to ask. Uh, so the, the actual measurements, send those into 3x3 at quarter to 3. If you see Fate of the Furious, let us know what you think. Let us know if there's anything you'd like to hear us discuss or questions you might have about it. Maybe uh, there's an anime synopsis you would like Kelly Wan to read. Send that ah. in to <laughs> and we'll see you guys next week. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Murkowski. It's Christian Murkowski. And Kelly Wand. I predict this Tyrese quote. Woo! Debbie Harry, uh, Tom Chick's wrong, and my songs were all disco. Thank you, and I have not approved this podcast. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! That was not your choice to make. That. You're lucky I'm not running you in for a 431 improper swear word. Oh, yeah, Quat Hole, that guy. He's from the West Side Story uh, jokes department.